Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773-467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and Amy, but in for Amy on this Thanksgiving Eve is John Cass, johncastnews.com is where you find his columns as well as the Chicago Way podcast. Happy Good Thanksgiving morning, to everyone and John. Good morning, sir. Uh, sir, do you still uh, celebrate or did you ever? I don't know. I'm, I'm asking. Uh, Thesmophoria? Isn't that what the ancient Greeks celebrated in lieu of Thanksgiving? I mean, not in lieu of Thanksgiving because, of course, it preceded it. But, right? This when I'm, I'm not joking. Are you, are you talking? Well, why don't you... St- Open up on a treatise of Pythagoras and the beans. Well, I'm just, I mean, this is when um, Hades kidnapped Persephone and yes. Demeter couldn't, right? And yes. couldn't feed the world and winter descended. Is that, that's a thing? Yes, it is a thing. It's called winter. <laughs> and then when, when, uh, Persephone, when uh, the mother is happy that her daughter is uh, safe, she can see her daughter and she, and she comes up. For those few m- months, and uh, she's happy, and the mother smiles. Okay. On the earth. All right. So, how do you celebrate uh, Thesmophoria? We used to celebrate by killing a bunch of rabbits and pheasants, and then uh, you know doing them with gar- garlic and salt and pepper. Doing yeah. them with garlic and you mean you know in them? a stew? Yeah, cooking yeah. them. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Um, well, since we're waxing mythological, <laughs> uh, can we wax philosophical on this Thanksgiving Eve for just a moment? Because I, I, I like these editorials. I'm sure I've mentioned them before. Did I write day. this? No, you did not write this. But I like these editorials that uh, appear every year in the Wall Street Journal. Uh. At least, at least, uh, well, at least one since 1961. Um, but uh, the first is just a portion of it. Uh, the account of the Pilgrim's journey to Plymouth in 1620 as recorded by Nathaniel Morton as told by William Bradford. Uh All right. I'm following you so Uh far. Now, they've already departed from Amsterdam, and they're crossing the high seas. The account goes like this. Being now past the vast ocean and a sea of troubles before them and expectations, they they had now no friends to welcome them. No inns to entertain or refresh them. No houses or much less towns to repair unto to seek for succor. And for the season it was winter. And they that know the winters of the country know them to be sharp and violent, subject to cruel and fierce storms, dangerous to travel to known places, much more to search unknown coasts. Besides, what could they see but a hideous and desolate wilderness, full of wild beasts and wild men? And what multitudes of them were there? They that knew not, for which way soever they turn their eyes, save upward to heaven, 
They could have but little solace or content in respect of any outward object. For summer being ended, all things stand in appearance with a weather-beaten face, and the whole country, full of woods and thickets, represented a wild and savage hue. If they looked behind them, there was a mighty ocean which they had passed, and was now a main bar or gulf to separate them from all the civil parts of the world. That's a you know, pretty um, literate account of this uh, journey, uh, vivid, in, I, I would say. It's on the verge of romanticizing nature, but yes. Uh, and there's now this editorial that the Wall Street Journal has been running since 1961. And the Fair Land, it's entitled. Uh-huh. And uh, just a passage or two from this as well. I mean, just the trajectory of thinking and scholarship. And then we'll fast forward to today and be depressed. But uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. <laughs> we'll get there. You're going to pull a Chicago editorial? Yeah. Uh, we can remind ourselves, this from and uh, the Fairland, we can remind ourselves that for all the, our social discord, we yet remain the longest enduring society of free men governing themselves without benefit of kings or dictators. Being so, we are the marvel and the mystery of the world, for that enduring liberty is no less a blessing than the abundance of the earth. And we might remind ourselves also that if those men setting out from Delfshaven, the pilgrims, had been daunted by the troubles they saw around them, then we could not this autumn be thankful for a fair land. Hmm. See, the, the connection to history yes. in addition to the wonderful prose. Now, um, where do we stand in 2022, do you ask? Thank you for asking. Well, I'm, I'm just eager with anticipation. Uh, this Thanksgiving, the Oatly Emotional Support Hotline <laughs> for plant-based eaters will offer unique resources for vegans looking for support during this challenging holiday. Is that an editorial in Chicago? <laughs> no. I would it's assume just, it would be one it, of the I, Chicago I, papers. I mean, it, 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 it's, it's not an editorial, but it is a commentary, if you know what I'm saying. Yes, I do. Uh, when you call this emotional helpline, if you're a plant eater on this Thanksgiving holiday, first you can listen to the main menu in different formats, including in English or Swedish, of course, English or Swedish, Right. Uh, accompanied by smooth jazz or you elevator music. stolen our dreams? Yeah. <laughs> accompanied by smooth jazz or elevator music or read by a fifth grader from Kansas who won a Thanksgiving essay contest. I'm not kidding. I would rather have the child read because the wisdom of children. Oh, sure. They'll shall lead. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Pressing one will get you to personal affirmations to help emotionally navigate a traditional meat and dairy heavy Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, pressing four will get you to a locker room style motivational speech inspired by the film Rudy. On the other tools on the hotline include tips about weaving the benefits of plant-based eating into conversation and deflection tactics when the conversation gets too daunting. Deflection tactics. Yeah. You mean like when your uncle's talking about, why don't you like steak? Are you American or not right. American? Yeah, so I guess some something like that, right? Have a have a piece of turkey. Just right. just, just try one piece. Um, so I just I just thought as I'm reading, thinking about uh, the holiday a bit, I enjoy those essays that oh. are published annually in the Wall Street Journal. I just from from 1620 to even 1961 to 2022, I I feel like we sort of 
fell off the edge uh, in the last uh, 40 or 50 years. I, I don't know about you. There was a literary tradition that reached back over time, and now uh, we have deflection hotlines and five and six-year-olds reading. Emotional <laughs> support for the, for the plant-based eaters among this, us. This is the nation, the greatest nation on earth, that God in his wisdom and love for man gave us dominion over, Correct. I mean, yes, manifest destiny and all that. Okay, I'm cool with it. But but now we're, I don't know what, we've removed our own spines and we've become like slugs. I don't know. Well, we, we're not, we don't have the protein to stand upright because we're all plant <laughs> eaters now. That's the problem. Dan and John Cass in for Amy on this edition, this Thanksgiving Eve edition of Chicago's Morning Answers. Listen to Dan and Amy on your smartphone. Download the AM560 mobile app today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So, I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. For the latest news, insight into what it means, and the sharpest opinion, there's only one station in Chicago where you can turn, and it's this one. We're AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan and John Cass is in for Amy J this morning. She's, I'm sure, making all the fixings for Thanksgiving dinner tomorrow, and uh, uh, let's all pray for the Jacobson family if Amy is indeed cooking. Watch the stuffing. That's yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh, com, of course, right. for all of John's work. So updating the situation uh, in the aftermath of that horrific shooting over the weekend at the gay bar in Colorado Springs. And also, as a quick aside, we'll be updating you as information becomes available about another mass shooting this yesterday night in Chesapeake, Virginia, where the report now is that seven people were murdered at a Walmart in Chesapeake, Virginia, when apparently it's being reported from an eyewitness, a Walmart employee opened fire on patrons and then turned the gun on himself. So as more information about that equally horrific event uh, is uh, available, we'll pass it along, of course. So there's the development yesterday in the Colorado Springs case. The shooter, who is in custody, uh, identifies as non-binary. There was a representation made in court by the public defender representing the shooter. He is non-binary. Well, they use his name. I'm saying he. 
they use, this is quoting, they use they, them pronouns, and for the purposes of all formal filings, will be addressed as mix instead of Mr. or Miss MX. This was a footnote in a court filing. Is that approved by the Cambridge Dictionary or just yeah. a, a legal phenomenon? Well, a, the interesting part about this is then the reporting yesterday on the shooter all refers to the shooter when they refer to him by uh, using pronouns. They refer to him as they and them because, of course, the mm-hmm. you know that's the new and improved AP style. Um, so does that uh, change our understanding at all of what happened here, this uh, hate crime inspired by right-wing, incendiary right-wing rhetoric against the LGBTQ plus community. That's the narrative that's being uh, by the D.C. press corps. Not only the- and and now, now we find out that the shooter identifies as non-binary, so part of the gender spectrum that's supposedly represented by the LGBTQ plus leftists. 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. In addition to that, Denver Post reporting, uh, this young man has had an interesting life. We know and we've talked about the uh, bomb threat that required a police response last year. And, and again, no charges were ever filed. I'm still trying to get my uh, mind around why that was the case. He wasn't a minor. Uh, in addition to that, I mean, not that if a minor makes a bomb threat, they can be charged too. But, um, but, 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 this was a bomb threat that was made against his mother. The police showed up to the house. He wasn't there. They located him in another house. He wouldn't come out. So there was a three-hour standoff, and he was arrested, but never prosecuted. I don't know why. Were the rules bent because he he was to be protected or what? Uh, I, I we don't know. Um, also, just more of his personal history coming out, according to the Denver Post, he changed his name. He changed his name in uh, Bexar County, Texas, six years ago when he was 15, more than six years ago. He was living in San Antonio at the time, and the grandparents signed off on the petition authorizing the name change. The family wrote he wanted to change his name to protect himself and his future from any connections to the birth father, to his birth father, and his birth father's criminal history. His father has had no contact with him for several years. I don't know exactly what his father's criminal history is, but mom and dad divorced when he was an infant, and mom is still around and involved, but I don't know why it was the grandparents that were the custodial uh, parent, the custodial guardian, back when he changed his name in Texas seven years ago, six, a little bit more than six years ago. Mm-hmm. And then and then they somehow got to Colorado and mom is involved again based on some of the reporting about them going to gun ranges and such together. Well, mommy wanted to bond with her non-binary child, right? Well, the, 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 the point nine is... millimeters. This, well, the point is to say this, this as is often the case, almost always the case, right. this is a lot more complicated than it appears at first blush. And 
the way this is being reported is, well, it's... White Christian danger, right? Isn't that the thrust of the reporting? Well, and and who's the responsible party? The responsible party, Tucker Carlson, Lauren Boebert, Matt Walsh, uh, oh, libs yeah. of TikTok, uh, the right the right wing hate machine. When in point of fact, it's a left wing hate machine that demagogues incidents like this for the purpose of people losing their ability to reason so they fall in with the left because that's the only way you can fall in with these people if you suspend your ability to reason or you lose it altogether. Lightfoot, Lori Lightfoot, the mayor of Chicago, just the other day after this horrific uh, event happened, tweeted out the following, I'm sick of this SHIT. How many people need to be murdered? How many lives torn apart until it actually stops? We don't have to live like this, and we don't have to die like this. Mm-hmm. But the implication is that it's you know directed politically. Uh, the, the violence is politically directed, and it, and apparently it wasn't. Or, as you say, it was more complicated than we thought. Despite that information coming out, this is how committed they are to this storyline. And there is no amount of facts or evidence that will dissuade them. Here's Ben Collins, NBC News, yesterday. Um, uh, events recently, like, for example, the Proud Boys will go and protest any drag brunch, any, um, any drag story hour, anything that a child might go to meet a, a drag queen, not, you know, just to show them that they're human beings and people. They, talk, they, they go there and they, they read Dr. Seuss there. They read uh, regular books, uh, but it's read by a drag queen and they, you know, they have breakfast. Uh, it is not some hypersexual event, but that's what it's viewed as on the far right. And these spaces have become dangerous places of real-life information warfare. There's Proud Boys showing up on one side. Sometimes people, like local Antifa members, show up on the other side as a, as a way to... It, it, be, it becomes a place where kids aren't safe, not because of the event itself, but because of this culture war that's been propped up uh, on top of it. Uh, and uh, that's not something that should happen. This is not something, you know, these people should be able to live their lives uh, without fear of being murdered, literally. Uh, but right now, that's the sort of climate that's been created by uh, anti-LGBTQ uh, protesters and, frankly, bigots. Who is this soy boy talking? Your typical NBC uh, reporter, just uh, playing it right down the middle, just oh, yeah. uh, reciting facts. Because there's nothing asexual or non-sexual about a drag queen in a library with kids. Especially when they're dressed like strippers. Yeah, or feather boas and wiggling their... Well, that's behinds, yeah. right? Isn't that part of it? The- well, that's a more descriptive version, but yeah, basically. <laughs> um, so, uh, I, but yeah. this whole thing, you know, anybody, if you avail yourselves of American media, basically you're a moron. It, here, I mean, just listen to the. I let me give you a few examples here. So, there's Ben Collins, you know, your standard issue D.C. press corps reporter mm-hmm. in quotation marks. Mm-hmm. Here's uh, Sarah Kate Ellis. She's the CEO of GLAAD. This is the Gay Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. Mm-hmm. 
Let's hear it. The rhetoric that's coming out from politicians, they're using our community as political footballs and they're spreading lies and hate about our community. Just this past year, this past year alone, there have been over 300 anti-LGBTQ bills proposed, 300 against a community that's not looking for anything. Um, so I, I think there's that. DeSantis, Boebert, they have blood on their hands on this. They have to stop spreading lies. These are lies that they're spreading, and they're causing pain and death and murder against our our community. Can't they speak without sing-song in their voice? Like, because the people who are being attacked, there's 600 uh, pieces of legislation affecting us? Why do they do that? Why do they do that? Okay, I, I've had it with these people. I, I, I don't know what to say, Dan. Three hundred pieces of legislation, right? You mean like we don't want to teach graphic, uh, sexual material? Don't want to instruct on graphic sexual issues for your for your K through third graders, which is the law in that was passed by, you know, DeSantis and Republicans in Florida. So now he has blood on his hands for what happened in Colorado Springs. That's anti-LGBTQ. I mean, they don't want anything either, says Sarah Kate Ellis. Well, it seems like they do because they want to, uh, they... Propagandize the children of America. How's that? Well, well, you call it, you call it anti-LGBTQ when someone opposes your effort to insinuate yourself in a place that is inappropriate right? Uh, with material that is inappropriate or performances that are inappropriate. Um, Is it anti-LGBTQ when a legislature moves to prohibit the use of puberty blockers for minors because, uh, and this is the science, because the long-term effects of puberty blockers are not known and there's good reason to believe there are a lot of potential negative consequences from the use of puberty blockers. And so we should pause before we run headlong into just giving the kids whatever they want, putting them in charge of their own health and their own medical decisions in a way that we don't on almost anything else outside of abortion and gender reassignment. So is that anti-LGBT? Because if it is, I mean, because if... If that's what you're saying uh, is, anti- is anti-LGBT legislation, then you do want something. And we want something, and other people want something else. And so we're having this debate and discussion and, yes, cultural fight over it. That makes it anti-LGBTQ. That means we're not re- recognizing the humanity of a, a gay person or trans person. Absurd. Absurd on its face, but it's interesting to listen to the rhetoric. So understand what they're doing, because this impacts how people understand these issues or more to the point, don't understand them and just lead with their feelings, run out, put their hate has no home sign in their yard in Naperville and vote for Marxists. It's never specific. It's just hate, anti-LGBTQ, targeting our population. We don't want anything. It's just brunch, so on and so forth. It's a bunch of nonsense. It's just reading at a library. It's not uh, some uh, man with uh, wearing fishnet stockings and a feather boa uh, talking to your five-year-old and, and wiggle, wiggling his ass in the library. Frank Figliuzzi, who I want to get back on the show. Let's see how tough this guy is because he 
comes off real tough on MSNBC. I uh-huh. think we've had, had him on this show once before, but it was before he completely lost his mind. Frank Figliuzzi is a former assistant director of counterintelligence at the FBI. Uh-huh. This is what he said on MSNBC yesterday. This toxic mix of hatred plus clinging to assault weapons is is the laziest way. Targeting your opponent, targeting what you don't like is the is the laziest way out. And seemingly they think the easiest way to just make what you don't like go away. But the senator's got this right. It's it is about instilling fear. And the correct response for the rest of us is to step up and and push back right right at them. So it's hatred it's clinging to weapons, it's ignorance of the other, demonizing the other. We've said this over and over again, but strategically what appears to be happening is they want to deny people the safe haven and safe harbor. Whether we're talking about kids in schools feeling unsafe because of guns, black churches feeling like they're going to get shot up at a Bible study has happened in South Carolina, um, whether it's synagogues, whether it's the gay club on a weekend night, there's, there seems to be a concerted effort to not only instill fear, but the not deny the safe places. Um, and that, that puts them in control. And then the theory is, if you're fearful enough, you're not going to push back. If he's a consumer of the people we just rattled off, from Lauren Boebert to Tucker Carlson, let's get it out. Let's get it out at trial. Let's expose it for what it is, name it and shame it. He's a consumer of these people, and those people should should face civil consequences from the victims. Is oh, this t- wait a second, is this a representative of the American Stasi who grew up and spent years uh, with the FBI? basically hating people who speak their minds. Well, you can understand why the FBI is so politicized and and therefore corrupt when people like Figliuzzi were in positions of authority. Um, So so Tucker Carlson, you know, at least he only wants to Tucker Carlson, Lauren uh, Boebert, you know, civilly uh, liable, you know, for wrong, the wrongful deaths of the people who were murdered in Colorado Springs. You know, others blood on their hands and criminally liable. Uh, but but listen to what he said. Listen to, to, to the approach. The, these people are, are – the strategy is this, and they're conspiring to do that. Like anybody who disagrees with the use of puberty blockers for minors or boys and girls sports or the sexualized curricula for primary grades, you're, you're conspiring with the shooter of Club Q – the, the 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 man who shot and killed those people at Club Q in Colorado Springs we're in it together. This is strategic. This is what they do. It's it, the classic smear, classic smear politics. You voted for Trump. You're a January sixth insurrectionist. You you, yeah, you, uh, you oppose the 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 uh, erasure of all lines between adult and child. Then you're you know conspiring with hate-mongering mass murderers to kill LGBTQ people. This is how unhinged they are, how unreasonable they are, how anti-intellectual they are. And the people who need to stand up are the people who are commonsensical and are being smeared by people like Frank Figliuzzi. How about the parents? Parents standing up. That's what I'm I'm talking about. Parents standing up at school board elections. That's a good start. You've been talking about this for the past several days. Isn't that a way to stand up? Beginning to stand up? 
I mean, it's just it's just remarkable the gall they have to make these comparisons and to suggest that that you know conservative talk show hosts or politicians have blood on their hands should be civilly liable for the deaths that occurred and so. I mean, they're so irresponsible. They they are purposely, uh, completely distorting the it's, positions that commonsensical people, even if they don't conservative or not, right. commonsensical people have about this uh, this this gender identitarian political ideology that's being advanced by the left. Okay, but is anger the right response, or is it like? Uh, Questioning whether or not it, this is basically the same thing as asking uh, the the knight in Monty Python if wood floats, then she's a witch and you can burn her. I mean, isn't that the logic of this demented man? Well, maybe we should just uh, defer our time to a more um, genteel bigot and hate monger. You know, Mr. Rogers. Boys are boys from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Girls are girls right from the start. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. Only girls can be the mummies. Only boys can grow up and be the daddies. Yes, sir. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine. Your body's fancy, and so is mine. I think you're a special person, and I like your ins and outsides. Everybody's fancy, everybody's fine, your body's fancy, and so is mine. Have you ever heard such hate? Brilliant, Dan. Brilliant. Have you ever heard such a uh, such bigotry? Dripping with hatred. <laughs> Tom Hanks uh, should be canceled for playing this this hate-mongering bigot Fred Rogers in the film, don't you think? I haven't seen it. Does he play him this way? Does he have this yeah. speech? Well, yeah, I don't. I, no, I don't recall this jingle. But right. uh, but yeah, no. But he Fred Rod. Yeah, Fred Rogers was a decent man who would be characterized by Frank Figliuzzi and Sarah Kate Ellis and Ben Collins as a hate monger today. And John Cass would have characterized him just a few years ago as a liberal. Sam and Valpo, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey. Uh, John Cass. Neighbor? Fan of your work. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, nice, Dan, to be in, um, nice to be living in America, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> Out there in Valpo? Yeah. So, um, if the shooter, who I didn't know identified as um, non-binary till this morning, if he pleads you know, mental insanity... Will the left have to eventually admit that transism is linked to mental illness as he is a, bi- a non-binary person? I mean, John Hopkins did this study 10 years ago, 15 years ago. These procedures, they just lead to unhappiness and mental breakdown in majority of cases. I'll hang up and respond. Love your show. Thanks for the call, Sam. I mean, I I don't think he's going to use non-binary status as the means to plead mental defect. But Dan, you're a lawyer. Uh, but uh, I don't think I don't think it would fly anyway. I mean, it's it's um, pretty pretty uh, thin defense, and it's. I mean, just think about this logically. Um, 
this is why we would get into these mass shooters. What's the one thing that what's what's happened? Well, there isn't a one thing because, of course, there are hundreds of thousands of other Americans who identify as non-binary. Who don't and kill people. They don't kill people. Right. So that's not going to fly. Vince in St. Charles. Good morning, guys. Happy Thanksgiving. The uh, left, uh, the Democrats, are all the same. They look in the mirror and they don't look at themselves. They blame something in back of them. They never take from themselves. They always like to blame other people for their it's not it, their problems and the things that they cause. They take responsibility, so they blame us and everyone else around them, never themselves. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I mean, this is blame. It's well beyond blame to demonization. I mean, what those comments you heard from the reporter and the the LGBTQ advocate and the former assistant director of counter intel for the FBI. That's just straight up demonization. Yep. Evidence free, fact free demonization. Actually, it's worse than that. It's uh, it's gaslighting. It's running contrary to the facts for the purposes of demonization. And the, as it continues, in this and in other platforms and, I mean, other uh, subjects, you have to wonder, what does the left really want over long term? Power. That's what they always yes, want. Yes, of course they want. You've made the switch, and it feels so good. you switched to Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560. Business owners, now's the time for your business to make the move to a locally owned business bank. Hi, Mike Gallagher here to let you know that you don't have to look far. Signature Bank was founded in Chicago with a simple mission to help companies like yours grow, succeed, and thrive. Their decisions are made locally by a terrific team that knows your name, cares about your business, and invests in your success. That's why Signature Bank is my bank. I'm a customer. As business owners, they knew that local family-owned businesses were not getting the help they needed or deserved. So I invite you to reach out to my friends at Signature Bank today. Write the number down. Remember this phone number, Signature Bank, 773-467-5630. And learn all about this great bank, 773-467-5630. Or visit them online at SignatureBank.Bank. That's SignatureBank.Bank. Signature Bank makes commercial banking personal. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender. The Answer. This is Chicago's Morning Answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning on this Thanksgiving Eve, Dan, and in for Amy J. This morning is John Cass. JohnCassNews.com is where you find his work. I assume his ravings about the World Cup, too. You know, do you really want to go there? Because uh, you you don't want to be the old uncle in the corner, you know, with hair coming out of his ears, screaming about something like, well, you're being fed scotch and soda and the kids are hoping that you'll simmer down a little bit. Here there was no World Cup in my home growing up and there will be no World (laughs) Cup in my home going forward. Uh, but uh, we can't have you on the show sitting in for Amy and not get your take on the Chicago mayor's race, which you wrote about recently on the occasion of Lori Lightfoot's launching of her 
Lori Delivers ad campaign, which is very persuasive. Um, it so, was? Oh, to me, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm all in for her reelection. Yeah. So wh- where do you is, – is the race sort of what the conventional wisdom – purveyors of conventional wisdom say? In your opinion, it's Lori versus Chewy? No. Okay. Um, I think that in terms of the future of Chicago, it's going to be Lori versus Vallis. Um, but might be Chewy versus Vallis or might be, you know, I don't know. But if Vallis is not in the, in the, in the, um, in the, the runoff, runoff uh, well, then it'll, it'll be uh, what I, my decision to move out of Chicago into Indiana would, would have been a, uh, a good move. Oh, I'm sorry. You moved to Indiana. You're not allowed to talk about the Chicago. Oh, yeah. Race. Why? Are you one of these little bike people in <laughs> spandex shorts? You can't you get upset. Can't, like, oh, my you, God, you're not family. You don't live in Chicago. You, really? what, you, you think you think like, uh, I don't know, six decades in Chicago and three decades writing about it gives you the license, sir, to write about it once you've left. And my family having business in Chicago <laughs> and, and serving and and helping people, right? No. Generations nope. of Chicagoans survive and feed their oh. families. Yeah, I think it is. It is. It's say. it's like Moonlight Graham leaving the baseball field. Once you leave the baseball field, you can't go back and play baseball. There you go. Once you cross, cross the corporate that. boundaries of Chicago, you you cannot comment on Chicago. You You're know, probably not even allowed back. I in. probably shouldn't be on your show today because I had the chance to talk to Lori Lightfoot in person. Uh, I was uh, Betty and I were at this great party. Tom Serafin throws a great uh, hol- holiday party, and now it it's back after COVID, after a long absence. And I saw Vallis there. I saw a bunch of guys, political people, a lot of, of media people. That's all there is. Former colleagues that I. Uh, oh, that must have been. Was it a tearful reunion with former colleagues? Um, it was nice to see some. Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay. like Shia Capos. Uh, oh, sure. And I'm I'm looking I'm looking at her <laughs> sure. at her story right now. Story? Wait, is that what she writes? Well, if an you... exit from the mayor's race. If you mean by story, if you mean tales, then yeah, okay, sure. Well, it's a, it mentions uh, Lopez dropping out, right? Yeah. I don't read that. Uh, I I do subscribe to the the paper that offered me a free uh, subscription or free copy of Sunday's paper, which I didn't need. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I I do read uh, Shia and uh, the non business uh, business magazine occasionally. Anti-business business. Is that it? Yeah, sorry, uh, the, sorry, uh, I blew that. <laughs> so, 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 okay. So you 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 saw Lightfoot at Butch McGuire's no, for I Seraphim. didn't. I, 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 oh, you did. We we left because I had this thing to be, to meet you. I have to get up at three o'clock in the morning, you know, to oh. get over here in yeah. time. Well, you know, that's the the penalty of really? moving from the fair city. Right. Exactly. Um. So, 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 okay. So, so, how? How do you how see do it, you Dan? S- well, how no? How do you see the shape? So, here's what a lot of people want to know: yeah. who, you know, are interested in an in adult leadership in the city, and that's not anywhere near a majority, in my view. Um, and I think there's a lot of evidence to support that. So I don't see Paul Vallis happening. But here's what people want to know: how does Paul Vallis happen? How does Paul Vallis even get to the runoff, much less defeat Lightfoot one on one? You've got several candidates still in the race who are all of the left, and they're all playing on racial identity and uh, leftist propaganda one way or the other. 
And then you have Lori. I mean, then you have uh, Vallis on the other side. Tom Tunney, uh, who is, a, you know, of the left but a businessman, has has dropped out of the race. Lopez, Alderman Lopez, uh, Hispanic, gay, politically conservative with respect to cops, has dropped off the race. So uh, the path, there's a pathway there. I, I'm talking to many people at the uh, Seraphim party about this. There's a pathway for Vallis to make it to the runoff. Well, the, the, and once he's in the runoff... Come on. The, 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 pardon me? The, the, well, for, before we get to the runoff, I was talking to people at the Seraphim party, the, the, the Seraphim party. I mean, that's the chattering class who shares a brain. That's a bunch of political hacks and media types. I like Tom, too, but, I mean, I've been to that party. Let's, yes, let's, you have. Let's, let's talk turkey about who's there, you know, president, company. I didn't excluded. hang out with the Re- – Betty said, are you going to hang out with the Republicans? I said, I think they hate me more than the Democrats What do. Republicans? Yeah, right. the, 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 the Vichy Republicans that show yeah, up to, right. to sidle up to Democrats? Right. Please right. don't hurt me. <laughs> please, please don't come after that's, me. That's from the Bobby Boucher movie. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, they, what do they – they don't know anything. Well, the point is, let's get to the mayor's race. How does Vallis get into the runoff? Because you have, what, 18%, 20% of the vote that he gets to get him in the runoff? While while Lightfoot fights with Chewy for the hard-left Chapatista progressives, and Brendan Johnson is also pushing from the hard-left and Tony Preckwinkle, and so is who, who's, who else is out there? Uh, Willie Wilson. Our friend friend Willie. Willie Wilson has a bigger base from which he starts than Paul Vallis, certainly based on the results from four years ago. And and 51% of the ballots cast in the race four years ago were cast by black residents of Chicago. Mm -hmm. So that's a, you know, so. so He did very well with black uh, residents. Well, yeah, of course. She did very well with the white Karens of the near north side. Uh, who uh, scream at you when you're picking up your dog do for, for not wearing a mask, right, when you're yeah. outside. I know this because I was at on uh, Montrose and uh, Lawndale getting yelled at by some. Well, you know, and, and, and so so the public sector unions go for Chewy. and Or the, the other guy, uh, Brendan Johnson. Yeah, probably Maybe. Chewy, more viable. I mean, there may be some but splitting, but... but the public sector unions are going to back, you know, a known socialist like Chewy. Yes. He's he's he, he is in their pocket. He will stay in their pocket. There's no question about it. Yeah. Brandon Johnson has more of a firebrand than Super Mario Garcia there. But uh, by um, the way, I like that uh, nickname. Well, he's dead ringer. Super Mario. Brother. He's a dead ringer. I um, but but so but so so and then and then Lightfoot gets right. Get front like the. Uh, Mercedes Marxists on the lake, yeah, and the offals in little enclaves around the rich enclaves right. around the city in Lincoln Park and so forth, and and then what Paul Vallis so Paul Vallis doesn't Paul even Vallis, reson- Paul, Paul Vallis doesn't even resonate in the nineteenth ward. Paul Vallis will pick up votes on the north side, on the southwest side. Yeah, not enough. Well, I I, I think he will. But if he doesn't, the city's done. It's really simple. If he if he's not because the issues for the city are crime, even though they didn't want to talk about it when you were crimes ru- down, <clears throat> yeah, when you were running, uh, <laughs> when you were running Darren Bailey's <clears throat> effort, 
or not running it, but supporting him. Yeah. Uh, the crime is the issue. And the other issue is schools. And if you can't get kids and parents excited about schools, you have no city. You can't. And so, and so, look, it's really simple for the people of Chicago. Do you want, do you want, I mean, I like Paul Vallis. I've known him, you know, for, I don't know, 35 years. Um, It's not that I don't like the others. Actually, I supported and liked Lori Lightfoot when she, until she, until she caved and. snapped out of your trance. Until she caved and supported, you know, she gave in on the riots, gave in to BLM Antifa and turned the city over and then tried to kiss Tony Preckwinkle's ring by endorsing. Um, Kim Fox, her state's attorney. Well, she gave in to the teachers' union first. Yes, as they, as oh, they all several do. times. Yeah, as they all do. The only way to deal with them is to drive them out by getting ch- uh, real school choice here. And, and what what really surprises me about the race for mayor is that uh, these positions that I, I know to be legitimate and important for the people of the city are not the point of the spear media-wise, even for conservative media. And I don't see the Wall Street Journal in here and Fox News uh, in here interviewing Vallis. No, because they don't think it's they don't think he's viable because nobody's talking it up. There's no excitement about Vallis. Look, I mean, I I, I've, I've say, I say I'll say publicly what I say privately. Paul Vallis is the only adult in the race. I, I agree. I mean, Willie Wilson's. A, a, an I like adult. Willie too. So I mean, I I, I genuinely like him on a personal level. But yeah. I mean, but but Paul Vallis is clearly the most capable person in the race. It's not even close. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's right. He's the most thoughtful guy. He's got the broadest amount of experience. Um, he overplays how successful his tenure was at CPS, which is super annoying to me. But but that notwithstanding, he did great work in Philly. He did great work in New Orleans and schools. Um, Chil- um, Chile, yeah. He, he's got terrible political instincts, uh, and he doesn't listen to anybody, which is which is <laughs> typical why, Greek, right? Which is which is why he continues to lose. And I'm at t- and frankly, although I know he won't identify this now, especially typical Republican in Illinois, they don't listen either. Everybody's everybody knows everything, he's which, which is why they're in the super minority. But but so 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 there's no there's no enthusiasm. You, you, and 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 then the question about money. Now I know he's raising more money than he did in the past. Yeah. But you don't generate the enthusiasm because. Nobody believes he can come over the top of the field with money, given the institutional support that Lightfoot is going to have from grifters and identitarian ideologues like Laura Ricketts. It's simple so, that they can, so, they can have whatever they so, want. If they don't elect so just, this guy, they're done. The well, I know, done. I know, but but I, I I hear what you're saying. But the point is to say, you know, how do you? Know, what is a, a what is a discernible path from here to there? And I do I don't I mean so so this is not like. If not Paul, then things are going to get worse. No kidding. Yeah. Of course that's true. And frankly, even with Paul in the short term, depending on what he could get done, it, things are going to get worse because you can't just stop the the all the inertia going downhill right. immediately. But 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 this is a political question. If if you want to win and if you want to get people excited about the race, they have to believe you can win. And nobody believes he can win, which is why they're not excited about the race, which is why he's not going to win. And I don't see him charting a different course other than raising a few more shekels than he did four years ago that changes that perception of him as a candidate and his 
possibilities as uh, the, and the possibilities for his campaign. That's the issue. Well, I, I wish it were that simple, and uh, it's not. And you're you're correct that he's got to generate some enthusiasm. Part of that is uh, now he's got money to hire people. Yeah, he hired Joe Trippi to yeah, be his well, campaign manager. Yeah. Big deal. Uh, well, or maybe Chip Trippi's not the genius, but you have to have people around uh, who are promoting that idea, the idea that uh, the well, city is dead without Paul Bellis. And I don't know how you do that while, while, while satisfying media, which uh, will, will pounce on anything that resembles slightly. Uh, the Bernie Epton before it's too he late. Should, he should. Yeah, but this is the problem. That's mm-hmm. this is actually actually one of the problems. He thinks the media. I mean, I, and I've seen this over and over again. I've seen this with Jack Ryan. Mm-hmm. I've seen this with. Other, I know these people. They're my friends. Oh yeah. Oh really? I know a lot of them too, and I get along with them, or did for years, until I realized just what jackals they are, right. and how dishonest, how how just fundamentally dishonest so many of them are, particularly. If it ever comes to their integrity versus uh, their acceptance within the hordes, so I've seen it over and over again. They're they're not your friends, and they're not going to treat you fairly because you're not their candidate. And if you don't understand that, you understand nothing, and you also un- don't understand how to get from here to where you want to go because they are not the conduit to get from point A to point B. They're what you leverage to get from point A to point B. In other words, Paul Vallis should needs to be bold, and that's the one thing Vallis isn't. He's a policy wonk who campaigns like a policy wonk, and he wants to. I don't want to, and this and that, and he's you know he, tip, he... He, t- he tiptoes around, and he needs to take these good ideas that he has yeah, well... and the good record that he's amassed, and be bold. Be like, we are going to. Shake this thing up. This is not working for most You're, Chicagoans, and I'm the guy for most you Chicagoans. Want, you want exhortations, right? I understand well, that. It's not. It's it's not just it's not just volume. It's attitude. Well, the attitude is, he's the only candidate, and I again, I, I I'm at a loss to be on you know his defender, but he's the only candidate out there who's talking about real school choice. I know, but that's but, a national issue. But you, but I, I you, want to see Tim. Why isn't Tim Scott here? Well, right? Uh, look, right, because you need to illustrate it creatively. You need to. I mean, you're right. I mean, it's shameful. I mean, we have we have uh, di- dioceses that aren't talking about the tax credit opportunity scholarship. I you, mean, it's, you know that it's you terrible. Are, you are really the Catholic bishop in, of Chicago. Well, you know, uh, you know that well, because well, the, the current well, occupant doesn't. Uh, doesn't do that job. No, and and by the way, in the suburbs too, yeah. uh, the uh, Joliet Diocese in which I grew up. Yeah. I mean, it is shameful. Yeah. The, I, just as a, a, a you know quick tangent, uh, the 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 absence of the bishop Hicks and Boyle, the superintendent of schools, who's now been you know, relieved of duty or whatever. Good, terrible. They've done nothing. You have one priest. I'm not going to get too deep in Louisa. You have one priest out in the Joliet Diocese who raised like about $5 million in tax credit scholarship money to try to keep these schools afloat and bring in more families who would choose a private Catholic school education if they could have some resource support. And they, they do. But the diocese is doing nothing. The bishop is doing nothing. The Catholic Church in Chicagoland is awful, awful. All of these institutions have cratered, 
And Paul Vallis, to me, is in a position to say these institutions are cratering all the things that are the building blocks of a civil, stable, prosperous society. They're all disintegrating. And I'm the guy who builds institutions. I'm the guy who, through the in, through a, a collaborative the effort, the, all that, builds yeah. institutions that provide the foundation for widespread stability and success to end the chaos and the crime and the hopelessness and the joblessness. You need to build these institutions. It's not sexy what I do, but it's what I do, and that's what's going to work for you, and it's the only thing. And if he spoke with moral clarity, maybe not the words I use, but if he spoke with moral clarity and some passion rather than, you know, uh, giving yeah, an abstract from a 20-page white paper, yeah. then, then maybe you could say this guy is going to kick some ass. But nobody looks at Paul Vallis right now and says he is going to kick some ass. Well, then you don't have the city. Then you, then you, well, you the don't. The city dies. You and, don't. Uh, it, it, is, it is devoured. By the Morlocks of the left. Well, that's why. That's why I'm. I'm. That's why I'm, you might as well support Lori Lightfoot. I'm. I'm only half kidding. <laughs> Go get there faster. How much? It, it's not bad enough. People aren't hurt enough, and the people who are hurt aren't aren't uh, sensible enough to help lead the revolt, or frankly, to be at the tip of the spear leading the revolt. They will. And that's scream. that's in Chicago <laughs> and the entire state. So make it worse. Go ahead. They will Go scream ahead. and say, "Why didn't you tell us?" Yeah, right. Right. They'll right. they'll scream to you. They'll call in the station and say, "You know, after January first, if the courts don't stop this ridiculous nonsense of safety act, they'll scream." Dan Proft, why didn't you tell us? Greg Jefferson Park. Hey, good morning, Dan. Good morning, John. Hey. You know, John. Dan is right on this. I, I got to say, I went to that uh, four years ago, Dan, when I met you at that uh, debate uh, we had out here in the Northwest Side. And, you know, a friend of mine was helping out uh, Paul Valve back then. And, you know, he introduced me to him and I asked him a few questions just one on one. And the guy, the guy lied to me. And I told my buddy afterwards, I says, you know, how do you want you? You want me to well, you for this guy? He lied so to he, you. You're come. Yeah. You're calling. You, you, this is like Twitter. You, you're an anonymous guy. And you're it's making not, an accusation. Greg in Jefferson right? Park. He's on. I, I, I'll okay, tell you what. Greg. I'll tell you what, John. You know what? Go find when Paul Vallis was on with Amy one day, and I called up, and we were talking about Chicago Police Department and, and guns, and he and he said a lie then too. Okay. okay. You, right. you guys got it on record. Which I is what? Find Wait, it. Which is what? What's which is lie, what? Greg? Which is what? What do you mean? What? What was the lie? But it, it was something about how uh, police uh, police guy uh, policemen have to I don't know it was either buy their own holsters or buy, oh, no it was buy their own uh, I think uh, vests? armored vests. Yeah. Okay. Is well, that and not then, true? But but so so what, what's the what your problem with Alice is that you don't think he's uh, honest I mean, you know, enough? He, just, he he says whatever is whatever is fine at the time. You know he uh, it's just as you said, Dan. He doesn't take a, a stable strict position and say this is what i'm going to do this is what we need to do to clean this stuff up and, and get on with it mm-hmm. you know i mean mm-hmm. it just it, it never ends with that guy i mean he, he gets on the show and like you said he talks about all his policy stuff and and things that he's done and it's like okay yeah that's a good thing you need to come out and say this is what i'm going to do whether it be schools police what have you here's the budget here's how i'm going to do it and then we're going to get on with it you know, I mean, it's one of the reasons I think the Republicans didn't kick some in this past election 
is because they constantly talk about, you know, crime, the Democrats, uh, the January 6th, all this other stuff. It's like, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do to fix some of these problems? If you don't come out with specific answers to issues related to what the hell is going on in this city, you know, I don't think the guy's got a chance. You know, I voted for Willie last time. That's who I'm going for now. I'll vote for Valis if he is lucky enough to get in a runoff, but I, I just don't see it happening. I really right. don't. Thanks, Greg. Justin New Lennox. Hey, how's it going? Hey, my buddy works for CPD. He's paid for his vest, his gun, his holster, in all his uniforms before he even started. So they do buy all that stuff. Uh, okay, thanks for the call, Justin. I mean, that's all worked out in the CBAs, and I don't know the particular of the collective bargaining green between FOP and the current one that's enforced between FOP and the city. So I'll defer to Justin on that. But, you know, the larger issue uh, on Vallis is just the – you know, is 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 stylistic. It's not that he's not a substantive guy, but you have to be stylistically compelling, too. And that's what he needs to figure out between now and February 28th. You've made the switch and it feels so good. You've switched to Chicago's morning answer on AM 560. The answer. Only the biggest stories, only the biggest guests, and only the biggest opinions. This is AM560, The Answer. Top of the morning, Dan, and in for Amy J. This morning is John Cass, johncastnews.com, for his columns, the Chicago A podcast. Uh, wonderful uh, stocking stuffer, a subscription at johncastnews.com, John. Thanks, Dan. Of course it is. Give yourself the gift of common sense. There you go. Um, You know, I mentioned uh, at the outset of the show this uh, emotional support line from Oatly for plant eaters on this Thanksgiving (laughs) holiday. And uh, just I I don't think that I brought it to life. So we actually went and pulled some clips from the actual hotline just to prove it exists. They're not not, uh, manufacturing the news here like the D.C. press corps. Take a listen. Press one to hear some positive affirmations and personal validations about attending a meat and dairy-based Thanksgiving dinner. Press two to hear some useful stats and non-threatening talking points that explain how your plant-based diet reduces your climate impact. Press three to record up to 30 seconds of unrestrained venting about how frustrating it is Constantly repeat what you do and don't eat to friends and family. Primal- and uh, if you prefer in its traditional Swedish. Tryck 1 för bekräftande affirmationer och uppmuntringar för att du ska gå på en kött- och mjölkbaserad taxihälsodagsmiddag. Uh-huh. You know, because it's English or Swedish. Uh-huh. You lost me at the meatballs. Um, do you want to hear, uh, do you want to, uh, I can't remember what number it is press i think it was press four for a motivational speech a la from the film rudy oh you want to hear what that sounds yeah, like sure. would you prefer english or swedish english please all right you know what you need to do remember no one and i mean no one invites us into their house for thanksgiving and disrespects us ignores our plant-based diet Forgets that we don't do dairy. Asks what we eat and don't eat for the 37th time. They think they can get away with offering just a bowl of cranberry sauce and 
green bean casserole? Not going to happen. This is your dinner, gentlemen, or gentlewoman, yeah. or gentleperson. Yeah. <laughs> Non-binary yeah. vegans. Yeah. The funny thing is the gentlewoman, gentleperson, non that, that those are actual locker room talks today. Those are actual motivational speeches, but not about Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah. Uh, for uh, more on this, please to be joined by Melanie Kirkpatrick, former Wall Street Journal opinion editor, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, author of Thanksgiving, the holiday at the heart of the American experience, and lady editor Sarah Josepha Hale and the making of the modern American woman. Melanie Kirkpatrick, thanks for joining us. Appreciate it. Good, good morning, gentlemen. I've been listening to your talk about uh, plant-based Thanksgiving dinners, and that's nothing new. It goes back to 1835 when oh, wow. uh, a doctor and, and writer from New England uh, dismissed Thanksgiving as a grand New England carnival and uh, told people they should not eat so much. Did he do that in English or Swedish? He did it in English. Uh, Melanie, you had me me when I read the word, in quotes, editress in your piece, um, giving thanks for Sarah Josepha Hale. And uh, editress, I just loved it. I just well, you know, uh, Sarah Hale, who was the godmother of Thanksgiving, that is of, uh, of our national Thanksgiving Day. She was editor of Godey's Ladies Book, the most popular magazine of the period and uh, the pre-Civil War period. And uh, she liked uh, ESS words for defining women. She thought it made us uh, special, and it. Uh, so she liked the word doctress, even teacheress. So uh, I, I uh, as a former lady edress myself, uh, <laughs> I, I liked it too. What uh, What would she think of Oatley's uh, hotline? Is that what she had in mind when she was petitioning uh, the president <laughs> to make na- Thanksgiving a national holiday? No, she had something a little more um, <laughs> important in mind. It was in the lead-up to the Civil War. And Hale believed that if the country could come together on the same day uh, and give thanks, that uh, maybe war would be avoided. Of course, that didn't happen. But in the middle of the Civil War, Lincoln proclaimed the first in what is now an unbroken series of national Thanksgiving days. Uh, and, and when, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I just I, I just wanted sort of more uh, context on Sarah Hale, because this is an important figure in the history of our country mm-hmm. that maybe is underappreciated. I think you argue she is very underappreciated. Yeah, I wrote the book because I wanted more people to know about her. I think she was one of the most influential women in our history, and I'd even go so far to say maybe she was the most important. She was editor of Godey's Ladies Book for 50 years. Um, her uh, Starting in 1828, she um, every issue of her magazine would have articles about education for women. Um, And uh, in 1828, uh, only 
um, there were no institutes of higher education for women, and only half of American women were even literate. So she believed that women needed to be educated, in part uh, so that they could teach their children, but also because she thought um, this new nation needed educated, well-informed citizens. So um, Thanksgiving uh, was another one of her uh, of, of, of her campaigns, and she also thought uh, again, starting in 1828 uh, and, lead, and up until 1877 when she retired, uh, she also thought that while the country had been unified politically through the revolution, it was not unified culturally. So she set out in her magazines to help create a common American culture. That included literature, and she would publish um, and even discover such articles as such authors, pardon me, as Edgar Allan Poe and Nathaniel Hawthorne. Uh, but it also included more mundane things like food. She was the first editor to publish recipes, and she had a recipe section in her magazine. And again, the idea was that she was helping to educate American women um, in how to cook uh, American-grown foods. And so there was a, a – because her magazine circulated nationwide, it was the fir- one of the first uh, magazines to do so, ev- all women – many women in America were reading it and learning from it. Uh, and also she also touched on such issues as health um, and uh, work, work for women. She thought that women should have the ability to take care of themselves and their families, especially if they became widows. So she encouraged women's entry into fields that uh, were typically um, reserved for men. As uh, I'm putting together my own Thanksgiving Day piece, and I'm so glad to be able to talk to you, because on the on the uh, issue of recipes and her attitude toward recipes, what did she have to say about the scourge of the American Thanksgiving table, which is jello with <laughs> with fruit well, chunks floating in? Yeah, Especially well, the fruit chunks. I, you know, if she had lived a hundred years later, till the till the nineteen fifties, uh, she might have had something to say. But uh, no, she was more into uh, tur- turkeys and aspect, chicken. Right. Chicken pie was a feature, a standard feature of Thanksgiving meals in in the early nineteenth century, and uh, she was also very keen on pies. She published many recipes for pies. And uh, and that was before the uh, the rage of deep frying the turkeys too, and <laughs> that, yeah, setting off explosions. Yes, right. But but I'll tell you, she grew up in a farm, and she believed in using every part of uh, the animals that they butchered. So you can find uh, recipes for uh, parts of the animals you, you you would never even dream of eating. Okay, um, I, I wanted to, to get a little bit more explanation on why you uh, describe Thanksgiving as the holiday that's at the center of the American experience. Yes. Well, uh, you know, 
There's a little known history to the holiday. The um, We just think pilgrims and Indians, uh, usually, but there's much more to it. There are Thanksgiving days that predated uh, the pilgrims' um, uh, arrival in America, and then there are many other aspects. Of the, the holiday is deeply connected with other parts of our history. I mentioned Abraham Lincoln, who called the first in uh, the modern series of, of Thanksgiving days. And uh, there's football, an American sport, <laughs> becoming uh, associated with the holiday. And of course, there's the culinary history of the holiday. And then uh, and I have chapters on each of these um, each of these topics. And then uh, this was new that I to me. I, it was only when I was writing the book that I decided to do a chapter on Thanksgiving charity. Um, hmm. If you know Thanksgiving in our history, dating the first uh, example I found of Thanksgiving charity was in the 1630s, and. Um, Americans have always, on Thanksgiving Day, remembered the needy. And, uh, uh, you know, if there's a sad, sadder image in American uh, culture, I can't think of it. Uh, it's of you know, somebody who has nowhere to go on Thanksgiving Day. We always think of the needy or the lonely or the poor or the sick on the holiday. And much of um, the... Um, way we help them is on a private basis. Uh, religious organizations, um, community organizations, individuals, it's not government. It's uh, bottom-up, not top-down. She is Melanie Kirkpatrick, former Wall Street Journal opinion editor, senior fellow at the Hudson Institute, author of Thanksgiving, the Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience, and Lady Editor Sarah Josepha Hale and the editress. making of the mo- the mo- editress and the making of the modern American woman. Lady Editor and Thanksgiving: The Holiday at the Heart of the American Experience. The two books from Melanie Kirkpatrick. Thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you and everybody in Chicago. There. Happy Thanksgiving. Thank she you. joined us on the Turnkey Provincial Line. You've made the switch. And it feels so good. You switch to Chicago's morning answer on AM560, the answer. This is Chicago's morning answer with Dan Proft and Amy Jacobson on AM560, the answer. Top of the morning, Dan, and in for Amy J. This morning is John Cass, johncastnews.com. Hey, Danny. Good morning. John, I don't know how to tell you this, but uh, we may be nearing the end of Tony Fauci's long farewell. He was uh, gracious enough to descend from on high and join KJP, Karine Jean-Pierre, the quadruple threat, at the White House press briefing yesterday. What do you think of your Fauci now? He had some uh, final words of wisdom. Mm-hmm. Those of you uh, wearing masks. Well, what do you say about the word mask now being a pejorative in some communities? No, it shouldn't be. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I know sometimes when you walk in and you have a mask and nobody has a mask, you kind of feel guilty. You shouldn't feel guilty. You look terrific. You look terrific with that mask on. Yeah, you know what? Please do cover your face. It's funny because I actually agree with him with respect to the COVIDians. Please do cover your face. Please wear the mask, not only because you're 
likely as ugly on the outside as you are on the inside, but also so that we know who you are. I like the identifier, the scarlet mask, as it were. Or use or use a piece of turkey skin for your mask. I mean, it's just as as effective. Uh, now, Tony Fauci Cook may be, yeah. uh, of course, sure, safety first. Right. Tony Fauci may be leaving us, but that doesn't mean his policies won't live on. Did you catch this? A uh, new report from the Department of Health and Human Services says social distancing and masking should be encouraged or even mandated due to the possibility of people suffering from long COVID. Quote, the lifting of mask mandates and indifferent attitude toward masking and social distancing, typical in many public and private places, further isolates people with long COVID. As a result, policymakers should encourage or mandate, encourage or mandate policies and protocols regarding masking and social distancing in public spaces. Let's bring the mask mandate back so that we're empathetic to people with allegedly suffering from long COVID. What do you think? 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro answer line, 64636DA, turnkey.pro text line. Isn't that the boot on the face forever theory? Uh, We'll we'll keep our government boot on your face forever. It's what they think they can get away with, isn't it? Right. Tony Fauci had um, an additional comment on his fare thee well appearance. Final words? A final thought, Springer style, Tony Fauci? So we know it's safe. We know that it is effective. So my message and my final message, maybe the final message I give you from this podium, is that (laughs) please, for your own safety, for that of your family, get your updated COVID-19 shot as soon as you're eligible to protect yourself, your family, and your community. A perfect fare thee well from one Tony Fauci. And then he engraved (laughs) his name. Fauci was here on the wall of the... uh, press briefing room there at the White House. It'll be engraved on our foreheads for every uh, dollar that Pfizer makes. It should be a Fauci face. I'll uh, reserve my time and defer to uh, our good friend Ice Cube uh, to react to to Tony Fauci. Uh, Been an Ice Cube fan since uh, his days at NWA uh, before he became some sort of, you know, vanilla sitcom star and and cheese ball movie family movie star, and but co- hey, and law enforcement supporter. Yeah, right? well, and 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 also he, you know, the um, uh, the the Black American Bill of Rights uh, thing that he's yeah. been contract with Black America thing that he's been banding about since uh, the last election cycle to president, and and uh, he's actually uh, a lot more intelligent than most of your self styled Black civil rights leaders who just genuflect before the big government class and the Democrat socialists. He wants the black vote to be in play for both parties. So black Americans have a better chance to get more benefits from the policies that are made, which is exactly, he's exactly right about that. Um, He had this to say in a podcast recently. I turned down a movie because I didn't want to get the mother effing jab. I turned down $9 million. I didn't want to get the jab. Frack that jab. Frack y'all for trying to make me get it. I don't know how Hollywood feels about me right now. These MFers didn't give it to me because I wouldn't get the shot. I didn't turn it down. They just wouldn't give it to me. The COVID shot, the jab, I didn't need it. I didn't catch that 
stuff at all. Mm. Nothing. Frack them. I don't need that stuff. That's what I call a response. I'm, I'm going to appoint Ice Cube as my personal COVID spokesman, but I can't afford him. Uh, yeah. One so, of the, one of the what do you few, think? One of the few uh, black personalities of, I guess, the center or left that that has read uh, Malcolm X and understood it. Right. Uh, he's exactly right. He's not a dumb guy. Uh, and and he, and. Um, well, three one two six four two fifty six hundred turnkey dot pro answer line six four six three six d a turnkey dot pro text line, and and in addition to Tony Fauci, you had Tony Fauci two point on the stage, and it's it's just amazing. It's like when you announce for public office, you lose forty IQ points right off the top. When I ran for office, I could afford to lose forty IQ points. Most people cannot. Um, Ashish Jha, who is the dean of uh, medical school at Brown. And was like a reasonable public health professional before he became Tony Fauci 2.0 standing at the podium in the in the press room at the White House and addressing these issues. He came out and said this. This is completely without evidentiary backup because there is no evidence to back this statement up. Take a listen. An important part of the conversation we have in the days and weeks ahead. Because here's what we know. If folks get their updated vaccines and they get treated, they have a breakthrough infection, we can prevent essentially every COVID death in America. That is a remarkable fact two and a half years after we found this virus first in our country. But it's going to take all of us to make that happen. So please, don't wait. Get your COVID shot. Get your flu shot. That's why God gave you two arms. Get one in each arm if you want Go to vaccines.gov. Jesus Christ. I, honestly. This guy. There's there's no, we're going to zero COVID deaths if you just do what we say, get your jabs and continue to get, that, there's no evidence to support that. You know, zero. Bes- besides the fact that these people are like chickens with their heads cut off, they, have, they are doing incalculable harm to future victims of viruses. Who need to be able to, uh, you know, understand, you know, and get messages and get m- message from the government and understand things and make decisions. Because the, because now, after all they've done, whatever the government says to me about viruses, you know, okay, fine. I'm done with you. I'm not listening. You know, here's the mutza. You know, I, I just, I don't. I just don't. these wild statements. And it's, right. and it's Fauci 2.0 because he... Um, as Scott Atlas, who we'll get to in a moment, points out, you mm-hmm. know, Tony Fauci never goes through data, never, never talks in detail about the science. He just makes proclamations, just like Ja. He makes these evidence-free, fact-free proclamations about what will happen if you comply. And when those proclamations turn out to be inaccurate, he says, well, you know, we're always learning. Well, you know, I, if you remember, I... Then he goes back and parses the things or tries to parse the things he said previously, or he just said, you know, uh, based on knowledge at the time or some sort of uh, wash away for things that he has said that turned out to be 180 degrees from reality. It, it's just that he's unrepentant and the press corps is uninterested in holding people to account for what they say the consequences attended to what they say and whether what they said turned out to be, in fact, accurate or not. 
It's just remarkable to listen to these guys and them to continue. They are completely uninhibited by the results of their policy choices, the impact over the last three years. Completely uninhibited. It is it is stay the course a thousand points of light uh, full speed ahead. Amazing. This is the party that uh, opposes fascism and authoritarianism. Yeah, right. But it's the same party that promotes it with this kind of hysterical display. Well, and you and you you just now to repeat, we we're on this topic on right. this show. We're we're just now getting Moderna and Pfizer to do clinical trials to study the incidence of myocarditis yes. in the vaccinated. Just now, just now, and we have all of these, you know, uh, sudden deaths of that, athletes, yes, top athletes. Top athletes, and not just top athletes. Yeah, kids, yeah. Uh, not just kids. Um, I'm going to talk about this story in a second, but, uh, and I know it's anecdotal, and the story we're going to tell, that's an anecdote. But the point is to say, what is the incidence? And is there a correlation, or even worse, causation? And what are we, if anything, to take? From, there's You can't ask those questions. Then you're a COVID, you're a vaccine denier, you're anti-vax, you're this, you're that, all the hysterias. How, how, how do you not question incidents like what happened this past Saturday? At 7.59 p.m. on Saturday, November 19th, Captain Patrick Ford collapsed at the controls of his American Eagle mm. only seconds after the 76C jet had left the runway in Chicago. Ford was speaking to an air traffic controller at O'Hare when his voice abrupt, abruptly stopped. Can I help you? The controller asked. We need to return. Captain is incapacitated, said Ford's co-pilot. The jet bound for Columbus, Ohio, barely 2,000 feet of altitude. Any mistake would have led to a crash. But the co-pilot, Captain Brandon Hendrickson, took control. Hendrickson brought the jet to 5,000 feet within minutes, had it back on the ground at O'Hare. Um, and so this, this guy, Hendrickson, did a great job, as you would expect from a professional pilot, but it was a great job. It stayed cool. Um, Ford, the, the, the captain, Ford, his body remained in the pilot seat throughout. He was out. And the uh, American Eagle, American, just said that uh, a crew member had become ill shortly after departure, passed away at the hospital. And we know that most pilots flying today got the jab because it was a condition of their ongoing employment. So, again, we don't know the particulars. Could you know, could have been completely unrelated to the vaccine? We don't know. But uh, questions that are being asked about anomalous incidents like this are just dismissed out of hand. Like you can't even ask the question. No, you can ask the question. Give me the answer. If the answer is it had nothing to do with COVID and here's the, the, the autopsy and so on and so forth, right. fine. Um, but Again, with- the same party that screams about authoritarianism and fascism. Is the same people are the same people who won't let you even ask a simple question about something like this, right? An American uh, d- d- declined to disclose disclose if Ford had been vaccinated or boosted. Pilots in American have also noted a sharp increase in disability filing since last summer, although no one has yet directly connected those to the mRNA shots. So we're, we're not making connections that aren't there. We're asking, and you know, if this was if this was uh, not 
uh, you know, additive with all of the other anecdotes right. that we were just mentioning, right. generally speaking, of uh, the young and athletes. One of the poster children for the shot, a four-year-old uh, uh, in South America that died suddenly. Um, if 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 we didn't have these questions and we were getting answers that addressed the questions, I mean, if we, if we didn't have these incidents and to the extent we did, we were asking questions and we were getting answers to the questions, then it'd be a different story. But you're not allowed to ask the questions. And if you do, you're not getting any answer. You're just being ridiculed. And what is the financial... Uh, relationship, if any, or future financial relationship, if any, between the uh, big pharma and people like Fauci and people in Fauci's position. Is there any? Well, I mean, this to to me is one of the things that uh, the House Republican majority needs to take up and perhaps propose new administrative rules for what is and is not permissible for public health officials at FDA and CDC as it pertains to their professional responsibilities so that they're not potentially as susceptible to agency capture from big pharma as one would argue they are now. This is that's a huge topic area and it yes. should be it should be raised and investigated and discussed. Uh, at the congressional level, and of course, the only place you're going to have the, at least the potential for progress is with committees that are chaired by Republicans in the House. Scott Atlas, Dr. Scott Atlas, one of the few that was willing to challenge Fauci publicly uh, from a perch in the White House when he was finally, finally brought on by President Trump to expand the professional council from public health professionals within the COVID response under President Trump. Atlas was on with Laura Ingram last night. He said this about Fauci's fare thee well. I think we should talk about Dr. Fauci's legacy, if I have a minute, because he's got a very important legacy. Number one, he presided over the biggest failure in public health history over two different presidential administrations. Number two, his policies were implemented, and those policies shifted the burden of this illness from the affluent to the poor and incurred massive harm on our children, psychological damage, long-lasting damage, an obesity crisis, and we really haven't seen the tip of the iceberg on that damage to children, and again, worse on low-income and poor kids. And then thirdly, and perhaps most importantly, Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, his underling, and many of these other people at the CDC and on the talking heads on TV have destroyed the trust in public health. We have a huge challenge as a country to fix what happened in his wake. Well, and that's exactly what you were just talking about, that last piece, John, yeah. about the trust, the legitimacy of public health professionals. The, the uh, pain that they've caused America, the destruction of uh, the relationship with between children and learning, the isolation of children at school or from school is incalculable. And it will be visited in practical terms upon the people of Chicago because the, the government caved to the teachers union and locked locks people out of schools when the crime stats from the today's 10 year olds or 12 year olds uh, switch to you know dealing with them as adults or 17 or 18 year olds and then you'll you'll see it 
Lee and Hammond, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, guys. You know, the only thing you got to remember about the legacy of Tony Fauci is he he promoted the idea of uh, gain-of-function research on yeah. pathogens to make them more lethal. Mm-hmm. His NIH helped fund the research at Wuhan. Wuhan was the epicenter of this uh, pandemic. And when all this came to light, he he gave no no input as to how what his role was in all this. To this day, he's clammed up about this whole thing. Has nothing to say about it, and he's been protected by the uh, by the by the media in this country. That's uh, you know, that's the only thing you have to know about this guy. And uh, it, it, and the idea that they can get away with this kind of thing in our society is is, is actually the most shocking part of this whole thing. Thanks for the call, Lee. Uh, it's not the only thing, but it's one of the things. By the way, there was an attempt to qu- question him about COVID origins, and that was shouted down by mm. Karine Jean-Pierre, the press secretary, uh, quieting up the press. Uh, no questions about second, gain of function. Point of privilege? I mean, uh, or origins, and then and much less gain of function. And, and by the way, that that's one of the great tragedies of Republicans failing to take the Senate on November 8th is because now you won't have Rand Paul or Ron Johnson in a position to be the committee chairman to do the kind of to 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 drive the kind of reckoning on the Senate side that they would have driven with Fauci. You're going to have to rely on you know, the Jim Jordans of the world on the House side, which uh, he's more than capable of. And and Fauci was asked about that. And he said, of course, he'll comply with any uh, House uh, House committee request for him to appear and testify. We'll see. Did. Did, wasn't it Biden who promised us we'd find out about the origins of COVID within, you know, the Wuhan lab or the wet market? Yeah. Did, wasn't there a 90-day, like, yeah. date? The 90, there was, and they issued a report about 90 days later saying, we don't know. So it's kind of like <laughs> kind of like the motive for the Las Vegas shooter, right? That it was mowed down, I don't know how many how many people we did a report it's 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 right it's it's unknowable so let's just move on that's essentially the position of the white house and of the covidian left of course it is you know these great searchers of truth these great devotees of science and data always uh, in interested in learning and advancing through knowledge the human can what a bunch of nonsense what a bunch of nonsense and uh i mean tony fauci but 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 that's not the only thing. I mean, Tony Fauci, to your point, John, about kids, right. uh, and and his Gretchen Whitmer routine in, <laughs> is part of his long farewell. Shut down the schools. I didn't shut down any schools. I just you know I'm just a guy who provides advice and counsel. You know I, I'm yeah. just I'm just some yeah. uh, some uh, pointy head over at CDC. Yeah, right. Translate. He speaks, and the donkey breaks wind. John Cass in for Amy J on Chicago's Morning Answer. Connect with Dan and Amy using the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Top of the morning, Dan. And in for Amy J this morning is John Cass, johncastnews.com. You know, this um, old Michael Moore riff on Donald Trump is remaking the rounds. I don't know, given, you know, as the dust settles from November 8th and you're going to pick up uh, the race to 2024 uh, in earnest here with Trump already announcing, of course. 
maybe it's time to revisit this in terms of framing. Michael Moore, now, his riff on Donald Trump in advance of the 2016 election that uh, the Trump-Pence team turned into a campaign commercial. I know a lot of people in Michigan that are planning to vote for Trump. And um, they're not, they don't necessarily like him that much. And they don't necessarily agree with him. They're not racist and rednecks. Or, and they're, they're actually pretty decent people. And so I wanted to sort of, after talking to a number of them, I wanted to sort of, I wanted to write this and Donald Trump came to the Detroit Economic Club and stood there in front of the Ford Motor executives and said, if you close these factories as you're planning to do in Detroit and build them in Mexico, I'm going to put a 35% tariff on those cars when you send them back and nobody's going to buy them. It was an amazing thing to see. No politician, Republican or Democrat, had ever said anything like that to these executives. And it was music to the ears of people in Michigan and Ohio and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin, the Brexit states. You live here in Ohio, you know what I'm talking about. Whether Trump means it or not is kind of irrelevant because he's saying the things to people who are hurting. And it's why every beaten down, nameless, forgotten working stiff who used to be part of what was called the middle class loves Trump. He is the human Molotov cocktail that they've been waiting for. The human hand grenade that they can legally throw into the system that stole their lives from them. Trump's election is going to be the biggest you ever recorded in human history. And it will feel good. Wow. That's what it was. Michael Moore saw it. I mean, as much of a left-wing crank as he is, uh, he at least is uh, aware enough of people's attitudes in the, you know, not everybody lives on Torch Lake or used to, used to live there right. up in <laughs> up in Michigan, the ritzy area. But but he 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 gets the feeling in the Rust Belt. He got the feeling in advance of 2016, and he was right. So are things going to be that much different going forward the next two years in 2024? I mean, I know, you know, mortgage rates have dropped to 6.6%, and this is being uh, heralded just the way that uh, inflation ticking down a bit this month, or last month, I should say, has been heralded, and the market you know, rebounding a bit. So happy days are here again, but I don't think Our they are. Economics works. I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's sustainable over the next two years because it's not sustainable economic policies if you want to produce growth and provide opportunity. So you know, despite all of the histrionics and the internal dissension and uh, Trump's legal problems and his rhetorical problems. I wonder how much different those same voters in the Rust Belt will feel about where the country is in 2024 versus how they felt about it in 2016. There's a sullenness that's falling upon the American people, particularly those who may be predisposed to vote for Trump or vote Republican. And a friend of mine uh, who writes for John Cass News, 
has suggested, Michael Ledwith has suggested, it's almost like uh, a point in uh, A Tale of Two Cities when the uh, when a coach driven by for a nobleman runs over a little girl and kills her. And the coachman sticks his hand out of the cab of the coach and throws a few coppers in the street as recompense. For more on uh, this, please be joined by Steve Moore, economist, author of Govzilla. Steve, thanks for joining us as always. Happy Thanksgiving. Hey, guys. Good morning. By the way, the Moore family has figured out a way to combat the higher inflation for the Thanksgiving dinner. We, we bought a little bit of a smaller turkey this year. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, well, what, what about, you know, where things are? I mean, again, this this sort of um, positive economic news against the backdrop of terrible economic conditions, um, whether that is really indica- indicative of a new direction, a, a new uh, a new prosperity that we'll enjoy in the new year or uh, or or not. And how that sort of impacts where we are going into the next election cycle as compared to where we were going into 2016, not this last one. So a couple of things. First of all, I had ne- I'd never heard that Michael Moore um, uh, video. Was it a video or uh, audio yeah. tape that you were Speech playing? Speech and they turned um, it I'd into never, commercial. I, I, yeah, I never had seen that. I mean, look, Michael Moore, I've debated Michael Moore, by the way. It's, it's, we've done the Moore versus Moore debate. Mm. And I, I look, I, in some ways, do I think Michael Moore is right on policy? No. I disagree with almost all his policy things, but at least he's a kind of honest, old fashioned liberal who cared about the middle class and cared about, you know, working class people. The Democratic Party does not care about working class people anymore. They obsess about things like, you know, climate change and not what, you know, putting food on the table for for people who who matter and who built things in this country. And so. You know, it's so infuriating to me. Who, who is the base of the Democratic Party today? It's rich white liberals. <laughs> they're the ones who fund the party because they're so rich. They don't really they it doesn't matter to them if the economy collapses because they have so much money and they, they can feel good about themselves. Uh, but the fact is that the, if you look at what happened, for example, in the 2016 and 2020 election, it was basically, you know, the lowest income um, districts of the country voted uh against trump and the middle class districts of the country overwhelmingly voted for trump in both 2016 and 2020 so the this idea that somehow oh you know the democrats are the party of the middle class is, is absurd now you know what's going to happen oh one thing well yeah but the, the, the question but the question becomes what is the republican yeah. party going to do to make sure those same voters come out in a way they didn't without trump if yeah. they're without Trump again in 2024. Well, that is the that is the puzzle. That is the conundrum. You know, uh, I saw Trump last week. I was out at Mar-a-Lago and you'll be uh, proud of me, Dan. I, I first of all, I, I, I told him two things. First, I just said, you know, I thought his speech uh, when he announced he's running president was excellent. It was yeah. an incredibly great message. It's like, look at <laughs> look at what long, the country was like four years ago when I was president, when we had a secure border, when we were fighting crime. When we had the lowest poverty rate ever, when we had cut taxes, reduced regulation, uh, you know, we had, uh, we were energy independent. We were exporting oil and gas. And look at the world today. You like it better four years ago, or you like it better today? And that's a strong, strong argument that Trump has when when he runs for president. Is you know, I did it. I rebuilt the American economy. Uh, he he told me twice. You know, I did it when taking over from Obama, and then he 
after COVID, we had to come back. And, and the, the question is, if Trump is not the candidate, and he may well not be the candidate, you've got a lot of people like DeSantis, a lot of the Trump money is running over to DeSantis. Can he capture that blue collar voter? I don't know the answer to that, Dan. I mean, could, you know, that's the tough question to answer. What made Trump uh, attractive to the blue collar uh, guys that I know was yeah. his was his the persona the his persona was I will go and kick those guys in their special That's purpose right. I will kick That's them right. in their special purpose till it comes out of their mouth and angrily yep. and yep. repeatedly and I don't know if uh, DeSantis could do that. Maybe not. You know, DeSantis has been he, he did one Florida by 20 percent. You know, I haven't made up my own mind, by the way. So yeah. I, I work for Trump. I have great respect for him. I, I think it's a good thing to put them all on the stage. We have other good candidates, too, as Republicans. Kim Reynolds, the governor of Iowa, is yeah. fantastic. You've yeah. got, you know, uh, so many good people. Mike, I have great respect for Mike Pence. Put them on the put them on the stage and see how they perform. Meanwhile, look at what do the Democrats have to offer? Just I mean, as long who as the hell is going to run for president? Muzzle I think Lindsay they may Graham. want to run. To, yeah, maybe they're going to run Pritzker. You know, he's done yeah. such a wonderful <laughs> job in Illinois. Exactly. Or, or maybe they can run Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. He's done a great job. Oh, yeah, a million people left California. I mean, they, they have no bench at all. But I think the most important thing right now is that uh, how do you – you ask the key question. How do you get those blue-collar workers who went – you know, and mass for Trump in states mm-hmm. like Wisconsin, in states like Ohio and Michigan and Pennsylvania. How do you get them, you know, back because they are not they voted Democratic this time around, or at least or they didn't come out. They didn't, they they didn't, didn't come, come out. out. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the real issue. Um, but here's the thing about Trump. You know what? What people those blue collar workers really loved about Trump, he figuratively stuck his middle finger out to Washington, D.C., yeah, right. the yeah, swamp. Yeah. You know, his his most powerful argument at the end of that 2016 was drain the swamp. You know, people are, are on, people are not stupid. Americans understand that Washington is just a place that enriches itself. The more money you send to Washington, the richer Washington gets. Nobody else gets rich off but of this. Four of the five wealthiest counties in America are right around where I'm sitting today but in as, the swamp. As long as Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham speak for the Republican Party. Yeah, that's true. How can well, you... I mean, I like what I like what uh, Mitch McConnell has done on the judiciary and putting, you know, making sure we have good people on the bench. But yeah. maybe it is maybe time for some new leadership. I mean, my God, and I, I've known Mitch McConnell for years and years and years. But he's what? He's almost older than Joe Biden. You know, maybe some fresh blood might be a good thing for the Republican Party. What's uh, what's your economic forecast in the the first couple of quarters of next year? What's it going to look like? Is is inflation on the way back to three percent on their timeline of 2025? Well, one thing that this past election has taught me, uh, Dan, is humility, (laughs) because I was so wrong. I mean, I did think we were going to see a red wave because we have the worst president in modern times. And I thought, you know, that, that people would rise up and revolt. And, and they didn't. And so I, I, I have become more humble in making predictions about what's going to happen. I will say this, that Biden made this case uh, a couple of well, about a week ago. He was saying, oh, my gosh, you know, all that massive amount of spending we authorized in the Inflation Acceleration Act and the Build Back Better bill and all those, that money hasn't even hit the economy yet. It's going to hit the economy in 2023. He said that is like a good thing. You know? But wait a minute. If the money hasn't been spent yet, it can't cause inflation. So I'm not buying that we're out of the woods on inflation by any means. I think it's incumbent on Republicans to say, whoa, Nellie, 
Maybe we don't need to spend that two, three, four trillion dollars that you authorized. Maybe a, a good strategy would be to cancel that spending, especially the money on the IRS agents. That's we saved 50 uh, billion there. And by the way, they also have, Dan, did you know this? There is a 300 billion, not million, 300 billion dollar green energy slush fund in the bill that's been authorized. You know who's running that slush fund, Dan? John Podesta. Podesta! <laughs> He's just a Democratic political hack. Where do you think that money's going to go? Do you think it's going to change the temperature of the planet? No, it's going to fund every left-wing you know, politician and green energy right. group. So there's right. plenty to cut, Dan. Well, I mean, and, and, and also $400 billion in student loan forgiveness that's being held in abeyance and, and thus now pushing the uh, forbearance for student loans off another few months. Oh, by the way, can you imagine? Let's, let's just imagine an alternative universe, that, which is that um, – that you had a situation where Donald Trump were president and he adopted a policy that was uh, that was not authorized by Congress, was turned down by the courts two or three or four times. You can't do this. And he went forward and doing it. They would call him a dictator. They would, would yeah. want to impeach him. You know? And Biden does it. I mean, the courts have said, no, you can't do this, Joe Biden. And he's still doing it. Look, this is the same administration that has opened the border and basically says to the people of America, Kiss my behind, okay? Yeah. They, yeah. There's no he's law. Not, yeah, he's, he's the, the no one who's sticking the middle finger out. Yeah. <laughs> but he's people. sticking it out to the American people. Yeah, exactly. There's no law here. Steve Moore, no economist law. and author of Godzilla. Steve, thanks for joining us. Enjoy your smaller yeah. than usual turkey this smaller year. Smaller turkey. You know, we all have to. You know, we all have to tighten our belt. Except Washington. You know, they don't have to tighten their belt. More but rice. Do. More bread. there you go have a good one guys you too steve moore join us on the turnkey.pro answer line hear about the big stories of the day then talk about them right here on chicago's morning answer on am 560 the answer this is chicago's morning answer with dan proft and amy jacobson on am 560 the answer Politics and sports and politics and sports and politics and intersection. Arrogance and ignorance. Arrogance, ignorance, and arrogance and ignorance. Intersection. Dan and John Cass. Johncastnews.com. Johncastnews.com for John Cass's work, columns, and the Chicago Way podcast. Uh, Perfect stocking stuffer. Johncastnews.com. Dan Proft, I love you, man. Thanks so much. I take everything back about you having ear hair because you hate soccer. No, because, you don't you know have what? to take that back. Yeah, no, but yeah. hey, look, I, I'm, we're not doing sports and politics to talk exclusively about the World Cup. Okay. But I did want to give you the opportunity to explain why we should pay attention to this favored sport of Leninists and Islamic <laughs> theocrats. When I was a kid in uh, Chicago and Oaklawn, I played baseball and football because I wanted to be an American. And my kids, were wa- we were watching Green Bay and the Bears, and they were watching it with me. But they had a computer up in the, in the living room because we didn't ha- let them, you know, at 11 years old, the computer came out of the bedroom downstairs in public where it belongs. And uh, they were watching John Terry highlights. They're like, Dad, check this out. Who the, what is a John Terry? John Terry was the greatest center back of his t- time. What about Karl-Heinz Granitza? Karl-Heinz Granitza was a great player for the Chicago State. 
Oh, okay. That's the um, only hockey player or <clears throat> soccer player I know. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Right. okay, so I knew then that I'd lost them to uh, to the what I thought was the commie sport, you know. And so around, you're admitting that was a, a parental failure? Around Western sport. No, because it worked out. Uh, sometimes parents uh, should let, allow their children to explore, you know. Don't make them be, don't force them to be conservatives by ramming Hayek down their throat <laughs> at eight years old. You know, like, uh, I want the book report. And, and it worked out. Uh-huh. Well, your kids are grown now. You don't have to keep up this facade. You can, <laughs> you can join us and properly lampoon soccer. All right. I, as, as a, a calisthenic in you our and I have a You and I have a, a mutual friend. Let's say her name is Beth. Uh-huh. And uh, <clears throat> she was talking to me yesterday, and I was sleep. I slept through your rant uh, against soccer, and I said I, I slept through it, but I'll listen to it. And of course, you brought it up again, and I'm just gonna say, defending soccer to people who hate it this way is like trying to defend literature to. Cro-Magnon men. <laughs> interesting, interesting simile choice. Thank yeah, you, sir. that's yeah, right. Literature I, to Cro-Magnon. Literature I'm a writer, is soccer, I guess. and right, yeah, yeah okay, yeah. 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 Nice rhetorical flourish. Thank you. Um, so it, here's the thing: it's not so much. I mean, we can spend all day explaining why soccer is a calisthenic, but um, <laughs> the but the point is, the point is, what's it doing in Cutter? And and the con the, ah, the comment on you know ground. Morgan Freeman's presence and corporate America's presence and what's Morgan Freeman doing there? I don't know. I mean, I'm not watching it. I just know he was there. I saw Playing the God or a Samaritan or something. I don't. I, I don't know. Yeah. You know. Uh, I so so. What about what that that piece of it? How how comfortable you? I mean, I guess if you're a soccer fan, you have to be comfortable with. Uh, Authoritarians, because that's where soccer is played. But um, but what about that? What about these choice what I'm not, that FIFA made of Cutter? What I'm not, I don't mind FIFA playing in Cutter. I don't mind. Look, it's a sport to me. I want to see the sport, and all these all these people and five million fan, five billion fans. All right, and these kids who are playing soccer. Yeah, and the in, World for, Cup have wanted Burkino to. Faso. Yeah, maybe have yeah. wanted to play this. Uh, in the World Cup all their lives and have dedicated their lives to the sport and defending it again, as I say, is sort of like trying to, t- trying to talk about uh, uh, Mencken to those children who were in uh, what, the, the, that movie you like, that Australian dystopian movie. What is it? Mad Max? You know, where they're recalling, recalling uh, history as they yeah. do, you know, yeah. with uh, like... All right. You know, well, the that, way they speak, you know, and you're going to talk to them about Mencken or Dostoevsky, it's not going to work. All right, let me know who, like, if it's Saudi Arabia or Uruguay who wins. The real it, thing. So that the, I can report on that the thing I think we can, whenever it ends. What we can agree on is that the American attitude of soccer, at least the American Soccer Federation, to put the rainbow flag on the American flag in Qatar is, to me, little children playing foreign policy. Illiterate children playing foreign policy. 
Well, they're aspiring authoritarians, um, and that's a very safe place to be an authoritarian. I mean, the American flag, as you know, is a symbol of hate and tolerance, and the yes, LGBTQ plus flag is a symbol of tolerance and love and uh, uh, in, in, in indication that we're all God's children and so on and so forth. I mean, that's the unifying flag, which it, it probably should replace the American flag. Kneel yes. before the American flag and salute the LGBTQ plus flag. But so does... long as it's so long as it's updated uh, per the Microsoft model to include the colors representing all 40 genders. Although I now it was 80 genders. There's 97 in the <laughs> San Francisco trans universal yeah. basic income program. Yeah. So at least four, we'll say at least 40. You got to clear at least 40 to be a, a unifying. But I thought flag, the left. I thought symbol. the left uh, cared about uh, Muslim people and their culture. No. No, well, they did. That. That's why they're there. But but the left cares about them, but then rubs the um, rainbow flag in their face. Well, in other yeah. words, they. In other words, the the hmm. the American left that will not allow people to have their own religion. Right. Yeah. The religion is American leftism. Uh, that's it. I well, think. Well, right, and and I mean, I'm sure that you know that's just a message back to. You know, conservative Cretans in this country, this that's they're not trying to offend their fellow authoritarians, even though they may be coming from different places. They're trying to get to the same destination, which is the elimination of the diversity of viewpoints. So, I mean, you know, they're coming from the same place. They just have different paths to get there. You know, yeah, so they don't really mind if, if their hands get cut off for something because you're going to they're on gonna, the same team. Well, right? you're going to break a few eggs. You know, on yeah. the road to uh, Walter uh, Durante on the road to heaven on earth. That's Walter Durante talking about Stalin. Right. And the right. starvation of what? 10 million kulaks in Ukraine. Yeah. You know, uh, again, uh, immunitizing the Eskaton is uh, messy business. You know, Ralph and Rantoul, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, good morning. Hey, the reason that uh, Morgan Freeman is in Cutter. Yeah. He's doing his next meetup with uh, Andy Dufresne, since Mexico isn't safe <laughs> to hang out in anymore. And uh, they're going to talk about why Red hung himself. And, uh, I and think it's hanged himself. In addition, yeah, and two, No, no, and not, not right. He was Morgan, wait, wait, Morgan, let's get it. Hey, Morgan red. Freeman was Oh, right, right. yeah, Brooks, yeah, no. Brooks, exactly. like Brooks, yeah. Right. Brooks, Brooks, Brooks was here, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and with the little LGBTQ flag. They're going to hand them out just before they push the gays off the nearest high rooftop. Thanks for the call, Ralph. Greg Schomburg. Greg. Hey, John. John, how are you? Love Greg. Your shoulder yeah. and your picture from Seraphim last night looks great. Oh, oh, with all this stuff. No hugging of Lori because I'd already booked. I was already out of there because I didn't want Dan to, to ridicule me mercilessly. I got two things for you. First of all, could you imagine Dan Proft becoming a parent and having to go through soccer? <laughs> Full stop there. Just Dan Proft becoming a parent. Full I would stop. love it. Because, I'd, I'd, I think oh, it would be great. You want to see some I mean, hands because, and feet get cut off? I would like to see no Dan, Dan discussing, you know, when, it, when his child becomes uh, like a lib, you know, and the kid's <laughs> going liberal, like in eighth, eighth grade. Or freshman soccer has, soccer takes over church schedules. It takes over your life. Two kids, two practices per week, typically one, possibly two games on a weekend. 
And it eliminated baseball as of the third grade for my kids. And that was one of the saddest days of my life because I was yeah. the manager. Um, then the second thing I've got, John, is before you leave today, could you give our hero one of your turkey movies? Because Hayek has requested a turkey as opposed to hamburger helper this weekend. <laughs> a turkey? You have turkey movies? Thanks for the call, Greg. Yes, I do. Like Kentucky turkey. Fried movie turkey uh, brining turkey i'm an authority i'm a, the authority on on cooking a turkey for god's sake everybody knows this greg of chomberg knows this i thought beer can chicken was your deal no that was like so yesterday oh. okay we're, we're now in rosemary like spatchcock flattened chicken uh, who but, what yeah i'm not i'm i'm a chef my friend spatch I what i can't deal this again we're so far beyond what you think cooking is because you think cooking, all, no offense, is opening a can of Franco-American spaghetti into a bowl. Do you think you think I open you think I open cans? What do you, you think I'm some sort of barbarian? No, I, I go out to, to eat. You've and never leave it to professionals. Never, I am I am the, one of the leading patrons of the restaurant industry. I have not seen the story. Was there a story about Dan Prof's? Like sumptuous mansion or a manse in the Lake Point Tower when you sold it? My summer home in Minsk? Uh, no, yeah. What, what about it? Oh, yeah, there was a story about it. But they, they, they didn't catch the, the important part as sort of a, um, you know, a way to live the uh, urbane lifestyle, which was my refrigerator has had nothing in it for, I don't know, I lived there for 16 years, so that would be about 16 years. The, the, even the freezer had no vodka? What, no. What are you talking about? No, I don't. I don't. I don't show my vodka. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. Well, so I wanted to get to this sports betting thing, but you. I'm Greek. Uh, okay, I don't bet on sports. Greeks don't bet. Bet on sports? No. They just play cards. We like sports. Is that is that, is that is that a is that a uh, a stereotype? Is that is that some sort of? When I was a little kid, hate on, speech on, on Peoria Street. Uh, there was a, one of our neighbors was a gambler, mm-hmm. and uh, people came for him. And I remember him <laughs> running through the house. We were in the apartment eating Franco-American spaghetti. My mom told told us the Americani. If you go to their house, you're going to eat Franco-American, and she was right. And then, then uh, the man get, was running. Get your, get your knees capped. Yeah. yeah, the the man was running away. They, they came up to the they came up the back step. He got caught on the front stoop, and they curbed him. Mm-hmm. You know, put his mouth on the curb and kicked the back of his head, which is, uh, I guess, improves the dental work or something. It, it creates a market for dentists. And, yeah, it uh, creates an impression that, uh, that when you, you when you uh, reach your yeah. threshold, you better pay up. And I don't, I don't, uh, you know, I've never bet on sports. Huh. It's well, a, the, the, well, okay, the well, that's government, a, the American government, no. hooks people on this thing. Well, this is the perfect segue. Mm-hmm. We're gonna someone when we'll do like a special edition of Open Mic Friday, make it Open Mic Wednesday because you know uh-huh. we're off for the holiday. Right. So I want to start there because the issue in this, in the New York Times, uh, you know, actually did something that's somewhat worthwhile. The uh, influence of these sports betting operations, not, you know, veto the bookie, but the professionalized state sponsored, state sponsored, state sanctioned uh, gambling, the predatory government 
uh, that you're describing and how it's on college campuses now. I mean, this is this is really interesting stuff in terms of how this insinuates itself and, again, uh, takes from people takes from people's back pockets what the government can't extract from their front pockets. One, I mean, of, our, one of our mutual friends, Steve the Pilot, as uh, a family member who is uh, involved in working for one of these big co- corporations. Who, Dave Portnoy? Is that a family member? Uh, <laughs> uh, all right, hold on a second. Steve in Northwest Indiana, you're in Chicago's Morning Answer. Yeah, two things. Uh, hey, neighbor. <laughs> any, uh, any fish tomorrow, John? <laughs> any fish tomorrow? That's not Christmas Eve, and I'm not Sicilian. It's This oh. is, am I going fishing? No, or, no, no. Are you going to have any fish dishes tomorrow? There's no fish dishes. Well, come on, what do you mean? Uh, what, like lake trout, like frozen lake trout, like steaks or something? That's no. Sure. It's Thanksgiving, Why my not? friend. Hey, look, man, it, it's more like a smorgasbord. you got to get a little bit of everything <laughs> in there. Got to go get the uh, smoked Calumet Fisheries. You know, there since you go. I moved out there, I can, find, I can get, get to it easier. Yeah. Second thing, Dan, this yeah. is the perfect season for you to give Amy the heave-ho and – since you're a cynical, uh, you know, uh, Grinch, give mm-hmm. Amy the heave ho and bring John on full time. Yeah, he can't afford me. Thanks for the call, Steve. I, 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 I'm so cynical. Oh. I think I'm a realist. Yeah, that's what yeah. I think. You know what? The the sound An unvarnished, effects, un, unvarnished realist. Uh, the Dan voice and the Amy voice is like something that we we in the cast household when we're eating our poached eggs. You know, we just rely on it. <laughs> Uh, Okay, all right. When we come back, it'll be uh, Open Mic Wednesday, and we're going to start with the sports gambling because I'm adamant about it. Uh, Dan and John Cass in for Amy, Chicago's Morning Answer. It's news, opinion, insight. This is Chicago's Morning Answer on AM560, The Answer. Open Mic! Open Mic Friday! Wednesday. Call it now. Open Dan and John Cass in for Amy J. JohnCassNews.com. Subscribe, get his columns, get the Chicago Way podcast, perfect stocking stuffer. Uh, on this Open Mic Wednesday, of course, because we're off for the holiday and happy Thanksgiving. Taking your calls, 312-642-5600, turnkey.pro. Answer line, your comments, concerns, compliments, general crack pottery. We'll take it all. Well, I'd like to make an announcement. I'm okay. going to take advantage of the uh, Salem Radio uh, offer for commercials. And oh, I, you're for I, food for the poor? Yeah, I want to. I want to donate for food for the poor, and I don't know if you guys can handle uh, uh, cast commercials on WIND, but I hope they'll accept it. Yeah, that's great. Uh, make that $2,500 check out to Dan Proft Enterprises. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, of course, um, you you would like me to voice your commercial, no doubt. <laughs> I'll, have, I'll ask Jeff. <laughs> I'll ask Jeff, Jeff Carlin to produce it, yeah. Uh, okay, very good. All right, John's on board for a business benefactor program. Love it. Yeah. Very good. Thank you. It's important, you know. To it give, is. To give, and it's a great advertising deal, and I need I need to reach people, so. Uh, like we like we uh, discussed with Melanie Kirkpatrick earlier in the show, uh, the holidays are time for giving, Thanksgiving to be thankful and giving, and so uh, our and not eating Jello. Our partnership with Food for the Poor is the perfect vehicle. Great, right. thank you, John. 
Um, I did want to get to this story because I think it's interesting. You know, since the Supreme Court decision in 2018, Murphy v. NCAA, for those scoring at home, uh, paved the way for gambling legalization right. across the Fruited Plains. So what's happened? Um, I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, the expansion of casinos, both in terms of size and number. We see that in Illinois. But also... Uh, DraftKings and FanDuel and these other betting outfits that you see advertised during sporting events. What uh, the gaming operators are doing and how they're co-opting state legislatures and legislators, uh, as P.J. O'Rourke famously observed, as long as buying and selling is controlled by legislation, the first thing to be bought and sold be legislators. Well, that's right. what's happening uh, with respect to gambling expansion. And it's making its presence felt in places you wouldn't necessarily think, but that are havens for betting. And look, I'm not moralizing here. Like where? I've, been known, I've been known to partake in games of chance and um, uh, lay wagers on sporting events. So I'm not moralizing. But I am asking the question whether you think this is a positive development. Uh, for example, and this is, by the way, is a, a New York Times piece that focuses on partnerships between gambling outfits and colleges, universities. So their uh, uh, infestation, if you will, of college campuses. So, for example... Um, there's a deal between a betting company called Points Bet and the University of Colorado Boulder. Each time someone downloads the Points Bet app and uses a special promo code, the university gets a $30 fee. Whoa. And, right, there's, and, and. We could kind of work that out with bongs, too, and, and marijuana, right? Well, I mean. We the same uh, thing. In September of last year, Michigan State University's athletic department sent an email um, to uh, uh, an online betting company, uh, or to, to, well, Michigan State's athletic department sent an email to the you know, decision-making uh, structure at the college about an online betting company that was willing to pay millions to promote gambling on campus. The offer from Caesar Sportsbook turned out to be worth $8.4 million over five years. LSU has a deal with Caesars, also signed last year, similar to Michigan State's. And the university sent an email in, encouraging uh, some s students, even who are under the age of 21, can legally gamble to place your first bet and earn your first bonus. So when you have a concussion or injury issue, um, how does that play when you have an institution involved, in, depending, you know, uh, for money on the outcome of a game? Well, this is the this is the you know well that these are point shaving scandals you know of a bygone era from Northwestern to Tulane, um, the Boston College. I mean the the, uh, the 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 question here is the alignment of incentives. It's just like we argued we argue about this in terms of how you use gambling as the means to finance core functions of government. We know this in Illinois very well. The Illinois Lottery was going to do what fund schools. And we were never going to have to talk about school funding again. Of course, that hasn't happened, and mm. we've increased school funding at a 45-degree angle since the mid-'80s when the lottery came online. And then casinos, and then video poker, and then these sports betting operations. 
And it's always some noble purpose for the revenue the state expects to generate, although the projections of what the state generates versus what they actually generate uh, tend to be much less than you know, what they actually generate tends to be much less than what was projected, in part because there's all sorts of tax incentives that are built into these deals between the gambling company operators and units and then these legislatures, state governments. And uh, and so it, it's the question sort of is like, is this a responsible way to fund government? The other question is, is gambling an industry that creates <coughs> real wealth as opposed uh. to as opposed to other sectors? Or is it necess- Is it sort of innately parasitic? And so we're, we're, we do we really want to cast our lot both in terms of funding core function of, of government as well as the incentives that are presented directing, you know, sort of influencing people's behavior? It, do we want the focus to be on the participation in gambling and drug use there's a and, great, a great uh, and abortions and smoking? I mean, this is that's why I say this is predatory government. This is government acting against the interests of their constituents, I believe. I I agree. But there's a a great Matt Damon movie a few years ago called Rounders. Yeah, of course. In which he's playing. And and the line of the movie is if you're in a card game and you don't know who the sucker is, then you're the sucker. Right. And the same thing with this. With people, the American people are the played for the sucker by their own government because the way to make money in gambling is the juice or the big. Just to be on the house the, side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On the house side. <laughs> right. Right. And, uh, the, you know, let, let these, kid, you know, baby talkers talk about, you know, the point spreads. Ultimately, they will, they, the house will win. Well, he, here's the thing. I, I you know, I, is I that the, good if, if the. Well, well, if the well, government is the drug dealer yeah, but but i'm not i'm not trying to protect people from themselves either so i want to make that clear i'm not saying this should be illegal any more than smoking should be illegal um God forbid. you know if, if you want to do destructive things that are self-regarding well that's your business but then don't expect society to clean it up um but you know spread in circuses you want to spend your marginal entertainment dollar uh playing blackjack or betting on sports and you can you know, operate within the your means. Uh, okay, this doesn't doesn't rub me the wrong way. I don't care, but it's the the whole the whole idea behind it that this is some solution for irresponsible government that recklessly spends money it doesn't have, or that this is job and wealth creation. And again, it's nothing against people who are who work in the the gaming industry. I'm just saying, it, it, like the idea this is this is the crown jewel of of our economy that I think is what's getting lost because there's all the glitz and the glamour and, and it's fine entertainment venues and you go see a nice show and you have a nice dinner and you play some cards fine nobody's saying it well at least I'm not saying it should be prohibited but it's just a question of the the uh, the fanfare associated with it is this something that you really want to see continue to be replicated and scaled in all of its various forms. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't and know. and you want you want partnerships with your kids' college, yeah. encouraging you know 
all the guys at the frat house to spend their weekends uh, on these sites betting on you know every kickoff on a college or, or pro football game. But then the and then the college has a star athlete with a concussion, and then they talk about concussion protocols. But miraculously, he can play in the big game against. State well, yeah, but U. but yeah, but just because well, just but, but that's a, there's no there's no um, reason that you necessarily know. Because you attend a university, you have special inside knowledge of what's happening no, with the football team, no, no, so no. you can sort but of. But the university itself is going to be making money. Right? Yeah, but it, yeah, but they make money. But the, but the, the university is the house. It doesn't matter whether the star player plays or not. They're making their money because all you need is the action, right? Yeah. That I mean, that's that's sort of. But but I mean, that's sort of again suggesting. I mean, is that is that really the sort of business partnership you want? The is this is this what's attendant to higher education now? And and oh by the way these partnerships and and yet still the tuition goes up at you know three and four x inflation on an annualized basis because it's subsidized by the government the combination of being subsidized by the government subsidized by the gaming industry at least in the nascent stages here only four years removed from that Supreme Court decision I don't I, I mean I just think that it's just like are are we emphasizing the goods that are not goods. Who's going to go tell Pete Rose? Mm-hmm. Right. Tom in Blue Island, you're on Chicago's Morning Answer. Hey, Dan, John, always great to hear you. Uh, I, the government's already parasitic, and right? So they may as well get into the uh, gambling business with the colleges. I, I tell you, so, uh, I used to bet college and foot, uh, pro sports every weekend. I'll tell you the thing that, that gets you the most is it's all you're thinking about all week is what games you're going to bet on the following week and stuff. And I think that's the last thing that college kids need. But uh, a quick story. Uh, when I was married, I lived by Midway Airport, and uh, Dan was betting with the Berwyn bookie, and he uh, came to the house one day to collect, you know, and my wife answered the door. He's in a Cadillac and, you know, dressed to the nines, told me he's opening a club in Berwyn, and, uh, you know, he got his money. And the next week, my wife said she never wanted to see him at the door again. So the next week, I had to meet him in Berwyn to collect a little money from him. The guy was, he looked like five guys stomped on his head for an hour, and he was driving a do- uh, like a green Dodge Neon. <laughs> Talk about the rise and fall. Well, he who gambles lives in shambles as it goes, right? Uh, unless you're Teddy KGB. Oh, yeah. Then the Democrats love you. I was splashed the pot. Monica in Lyle. Hi. I thought I'd go on a cheery note. So, Dan, um, when you moved out, um, was the only thing that in your cabinets then, the uh, Jameson and the sangria that I gave you for your birthday two years ago? (laughs) Yeah. I I have a, a healthy stock of spirits monica don't you worry yes i took them with me he drinks only 120 life monica yeah yeah 120 life and vodka (laughs) right yeah Yeah. 120 i drink 120 life (coughs) with the vodka iv in my arm uh kevin excuse me ken in evanston oh hi dan hey i'm calling about your Stephen moore interview I noticed that you discussed three topics. You were right on two of them. Or no, I'm sorry. You were wrong on two of them, but mm. you were right on one of them. One and I just like you to explain yourself. 
Um, you were right on immigration. You were blatantly wrong on the other two. My question is, whom do you serve? Uh, I, I have... Satan? <laughs> no. Idea. So what two was I wrong on? And, and uh, then I guess I could answer the question, whom do I allegedly serve? I serve God. Well, uh, who, who do you Right. You were right on immigration, and uh-huh. you were blatantly and obviously wrong on um, the economy and student loan. How, how was I blatantly and obviously wrong? Explain to me. Well, you're a supply sider. Supply side has been debunked for 20 years. So you it's a so, nutcase cult. Hey, uh, so Ken, so on student loans, um, so you favor the socialization of student loans? Those fees never should have been imposed in the first place. <laughs> See you, Ken. So um, I make a deal. I sign a contract to borrow money and uh, make a commitment to pay off on a particular schedule. But because they sh- it shouldn't have been that way, I don't have to pay anymore. You're going to have a real hard time enforcing contracts if you can have the government step in between contractual parties when one uses the government to s- like the terms after all. So just obviate the contract. Is that is that how we should run uh, a private economy? Is that how we should organize society, Ken and Evanston? I don't. I don't even understand what you're talking about. What an absurd statement! You call your. Well, I. You, I assume you call yourself some sort of uh, populist conservative type, and you favor the socialization of obligations voluntarily undertaken. Okay, Ken, get back to your chalkboard. Uh, or coloring book, as the case may be. Kevin in Austin, Texas. Uh, hey, uh, good morning, Dan. Um, I just wanted what the uh, the gambling thing is going to generate is gambling degenerates. Anyhow, um, I want to make a comment on that. My experience I had as a precinct captain in Williamson County, Texas, last week. Uh, the Tuesday, It was the Tuesday when uh, Trump announced, and... Uh, so the, the executive chair was showing, like, the map of Williamson County, which is kind of, you know, it's just north of Austin, which would be kind of like a DuPage, right? Showing where it was red, where it was blue, where we got to focus uh, our efforts to get uh, people who don't vote a lot out to vote to help the Republicans win. Well, then they announced that Trump was going to uh, run again. Half the room cheered. The other half, like, gave a big sigh because they realized how much more difficult their job is yeah. to get people out to vote for Republicans. And I just want to encourage people locally. I grew up in Oak Park, Illinois. I actually worked for the city of Chicago one time, and I ran, uh, I, I walked the precinct uh, in Chicago. That's where a lot of some of the decisions are made in, as far as uh, involvement on the ground. And I think because the efforts that you made, uh, Pritzker's vote was down, what, not how many hundreds of thousands, and then uh, Bailey's was up. I think there is a move towards the right in Illinois and I think for the next year, uh, it's the time to build the party uh, from the, the ground up and the, uh, and the bottom up. And your fellow travelers, people who listen to you uh, on your show, listen to John Cass, if they get involved in that, then they'll be ready to go out and know who their neighbors are. And that's the thing. You just know it's a small little neighborhood. You know who the neighbors are who think like you do, but they may think they're Democrats because they've been under the, the, the news media in Chicago for so long. Anyhow, I'd love to hear what you have to Thanks for the call, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It's a, I mean, that's, 
Yeah, there are some green shoots there, um, and it is a manpower issue as well as a, a programmatic issue, and <coughs> sort of one, one leads the, to the other. And, yeah, and school boards is the next beta test uh, mm -hmm. in terms of building, right? Uh, Rich, Indian Head Park. Hey, good morning, John. Good morning, uh, Dan. Uh, hey, I just wanted to wish you and your, just wanted to wish you and your family, and uh, Amy and her family, and the five sixty crew, and all your listeners a happy uh, Thanksgiving. And I hope uh, everyone has a safe holiday. Thanks, yeah. and have a good rest of your day. You too, Rich. Thanks for the call. I'll be out in Indian Head Park uh, on Thanksgiving. Really? My brother lives there. Oh, he does. Yeah. Oh, interesting. All right. So, I'll say stop by Rich in Indian Head Park. <laughs> yeah, everybody knows Rich in hey, Indian Rich. Head Park. Yeah, Susan, Cedar Lake, Indiana. Hi, Hi guys, got a couple jokes for you. What okay. was the turkey accused of? What was the turkey accused of? I don't know. Foul play. Hi, oh. <laughs> so, uh, uh, into rehab the day after Thanksgiving. As it turns out, he just couldn't quit cold turkey. <laughs> You have a great weekend. Thanks, Dan. Big fan. Hey, you too, Susan. Susan. Thanks for that. Susan's going to be the life of the party at her Thanksgiving. She's the, she's my neighbor and the lover. And remember, brine your bird, Susan. Brine the bird. That's not a metaphor, is it? You have to brine it. That's all there's to it. Chuck in Delavan, Wisconsin. Thank you very much for mentioning the name of my band, Garage Band, Brine Your Bird. Hey, <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody, but Tom stole my thunder. Hey, uh, tomorrow night, children, uh, from 6 till 8, uh, Bottle Shop, Mr. and Mrs. Claw. It's free. Bring your children if you're in the area, and uh, it's in the back part of the old theater where the music, uh, where the uh, magic show used to be. And uh, it'll be really exciting. The children can tell Mr. and Mrs. Claw what they want for Christmas. All right. Thanks. Uh, the Bottle Top for the Colossus. Thanks for the call, Chuck. Dan and John Cass in for Amy J. Listen to podcasts of Dan and Amy from the AM560 mobile app. Download it today at 560theanswer.com slash mobile. Thanks for listening to Chicago's Morning Answer podcast sponsored by Signature Bank. Signature Bank takes pride in helping customers grow their business and provide unmatched banking expertise, custom financial solutions, and the industry's best technology. So whether you're a business looking for a deposit relationship or needs a ready source of financing, Signature Bank is the right bank for you. Call today at 773 467-5600 to hear how Signature Bank can help your business grow and thrive. Member FDIC, Equal Housing Lender.